tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning and welcome to Friday's Tip Today. Alison here with you until 12 o'clock. Coming up on this morning's show, Johnny Luby's weekly ramblings. A verdict in the Ashling Murphy murder trial as Joseph Pushka is found guilty. Who is really on trial? We look at the fallout from the Molly Martins case. The Animal Bar is no more. Nestle is set to discontinue Animal Bars after 60 years. And of course, it's Friday, so our panel will be here to unpack the hot topics of the week, including, of course, the big Cashel refugee story from this week, phones for school children, and the explosion of Christmas ads this week. Our phone lines are open. Emma is standing by 1800 or you can text or WhatsApp Also, we'll again be playing the Tip FM Match 3 game with Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical. So listen out for your chance to play later on this morning. Uh, Yeah, keep those calls and texts coming in to us just to look at the papers this morning. A quick look, of course, dominated by the ruling in the Ashling Murphy murder trial yesterday. A lot of coverage as well last night on television and on the news. We'll be discussing that later on this morning. But now, of course, it's Friday morning. So who else are we going to talk to but Johnny Luby? Hi, Johnny. Good morning, Ellie. How are you, Keith? I'm great. Good morning to the listeners. Where's Donna fella going? Uh, yeah, he's gone away for the day. I don't know where he's gone. I don't ask questions. I don't get answers, Jenny. Yeah, entitled to a break, is right. <laughs> Absolutely. He works hard enough. Tell me, what's the week been like for you? Yeah, Ellie, not too bad at all. Because, yeah, I suppose weather-wise it wasn't hectic, was it really? It wasn't we great. The men above thrown everything down on top of green wind and rain and sunshine and the whole lot. And the sweet, them all we can do about it at the end of the day. Whatever comes, it comes, isn't that it? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, on Sunday morning last, I went, I was browsing through the National Daily on Sunday morning last, and I see where a, a cousin of our, of mine, uh, John Stakelam in Turles, the Lord of Mercy, and plus his uh, anniversary mass. So I went over to the mass in the cathedral at nine o'clock, and from there, then I came back to the graveyard in Holy Cross and went through a lot of graves of uh, people that I knew well that we had wonderful times with, were mostly on the sporting fields uh, and all of that. Matty Kale and Mary Gould of the Greyhound fame, and many, many more. And uh, so that that was my Sunday morning uh, done for. The big match was called off on Sunday between Kilfeekle and Clan William owing to, owing to the death of a former Kilfeekle player, a 32-year-old boy. He was yeah. one of triplets in Limerick, came out to play straight on the hill. He had played rugby with, I think it was Crescent Comer, some of them inside at school, and a fine, hardy boy, and then played a bit of senior rugby with Gary Owen and Young Monsters. And then he turned in his lot with uh, ourselves outside on the hill for a couple of years. So uh, the match was called off uh, on account of the uh, that tragic death in Limerick City on Sunday morning, uh, a, a bus accident after driving home, maybe four or five lads in, in lassies in a, a minibus. Uh, the bus hit the wall then on the way back and uh, at last was the uh, end of life for uh, Darrell Ryan and we extend our sincere sympathies uh, to the Ryan family. 
uh, and that from all and all the sporting clubs around because many of them would have uh, come across him playing playing uh, against them and playing for Kilfiegel. So our sympathies to all concerned. Absolutely. Yeah, I suppose, uh, Ali, on the, on the sporting front, it was disappointing last weekend that Laura Dora uh, didn't uh, advance in the Munster Premier Intermediate uh, Championship uh, and that the commentary was on Tip FM and it was brilliant. We were tuned into it. And then, of course, I went to see St. Michael's play uh, in the soccer against uh, Holly for Kilcommon. And uh, they had a, a, a nice win there on the FAI Junior Cup. So well done to them. Uh, as usual, the pitch in St. Michael's in Tipperary Town is certainly top class and always well manicured and everything else. Uh, this weekend, uh, Elliot is a big one for the football in Tipperary yeah. where we have Clarmel Commercial play Newcastle West that's in the FPD Stadium in Tullus on Sunday at one thirty. and uh, the very best of luck to commercials I think they have a, a couple of injuries but hopefully they will have cleared up for Sunday's game there'll be a nice crowd in Tullus for what should be a good football game Newcastle West beat them last year but I think uh, commercials cared as well Mark now and they'll be very much up for the game uh, at the same time in, in bench at one thirty, uh, Grange Mokler Bally Neal they play uh, Rowan Moore of Waterford in the first round of the uh, Munster Intermediate uh, uh, of the Munster Intermediate football and the very best of luck to Grange Mokler Bally Neal mm. they had uh, uh, two tremendous games against Aherlow and commiserations to Aherlow uh, eventually uh, Grange Mokler emerged victorious so the best of luck to Grange Mokler Bally Neal whilst tomorrow in uh, in Temple 2 he has won as uh, 1.30 again Sean Tracy is our representative still from the heart of Tipperary the, up there on the hills uh, the lads from Kilcommon Rear Cross and all that area along uh, they play Kilmurray of uh, Cork uh, in the uh, Junior A football so the very best of luck to the Tracys they are our representatives so hopefully uh, that the three teams will uh, perform to their best and victory to uh, to the three of them mm-hmm. uh, in the Camogie of course congrats to Court of and uh, uh, Carlton Kennedy, they both won the uh, uh, PMC uh, Camogie Awards, All Star Awards. It was brilliant for the the two of them, and of course a young girl called Jean Kelly. Uh, she got the Soaring Stars Award uh, for youngsters coming through in the game of Camogie, and she scored all of Tipperary's ten goals leading up to the All Ireland final. Amazing. Uh, the, uh, I saw her photo with her dad and mum and brothers and sisters on the paper. So heartiest congratulations to Jean and to uh, Court Devane and uh, Calvin Kennedy. They have been outstanding ambassadoresses for Tipperary Camogie and well done to them. Uh, in the golf, it is really we talk about it, but congrats to young uh, Joe Hawkins, who is only 15 years of age and is Clanmel's golf club's golfer of the year uh, for his outstanding uh, golf uh, all along. So the, the best of luck to him yeah. coming through. And of course, we must say well done to the uh, recent Play in Pink uh, uh, event. It raised 
almost 5,500 and uh, for much needed funds for breast cancer research. So well done to them. I mean, it's marvellous in this day and age the way people uh, put their hands in their pockets yeah. uh, for well known, for nearly all charities out there and they come together and raise a few quid and that was a fantastic uh, thing to do, you know. On the rugby, for, uh, Ellie, only just that uh, a couple of clubs uh, contacted me, Clan Mel play uh, at home this weekend. That game is at 2.30 tomorrow in uh, uh in Ardgia there in Clanmel as you come in the uh, Casual Road Kilfeekland District are at home on Sunday at 2.30 they play Sunday as well and of course Feddot just out the road here they're at home to Bell and Colleague at 2.30 as well in the Division 2 the very best of luck to them uh, all three and I presume Cashel and Nina Tullis uh, Clan William and uh, Callie Conshore uh, they're all there or thereabouts uh, but I I didn't get the fixtures. My phone doesn't allow me to do all of all of oh, those dear. modern things. Yeah. But uh, mentioning Cashel, of course, Elliot was very much in the news. I didn't know one thing about it. I was having breakfast here about 20 past nine last Monday morning when somebody rang me from Bor in County Offaly saying, uh, uh, I thought you'd be have a comment to make on the uh, 74 refugees coming to Cashel. Mm. And I said, that's the very first I've heard about it. He said, uh, tune in. So I tuned in and uh, and it was unbelievable. I mean, to think what this government was doing uh, to the people of that, in my book, one of the nicest towns in Ireland, certainly one of our nicest towns in the county of Tipperary. And to say that uh, a word called uh, uh, have respect, I mean, these are the, we are the people that put uh, this government in. And to say that they hadn't the respect to uh, let the people of Cashel know and the representatives of uh, the parties here in uh, Tipperary, nobody knew anything. And were it not for Liam Brown, whom I just barely know, but were it not for Liam Brown, who, who at very short notice got well over 500 people, and I presume that uh, if it was uh, broadcast Every in uh, if everyone knew about it, there could there would have been up against five thousand people yeah. there, you know. And like, uh, it was just the sneakiness of it, Johnny, wasn't it? To kind of announce oh, yeah. it on a Friday and evening, Ellie, it was unbelievable. Uh, and that, and look, the very same thing again calls for refugee policy changes as major Ukrainian centers is scrapped. This up is a plan to house up to 950 Ukrainian refugees at Glendalough Estate in Wicklow has been scrapped. Mm. Uh, during the last day or two as well. I mean, it's a case of with the government, with this government, people will tell you it is a good government and the whole lot. They haven't even the word called courtesy. Uh, And uh, uh, to tell people what's happening. Something like this happened over in another county and the government said at the time that they have learned their lesson and that they will communicate with the people. And nobody bothered our backsides communicating with the people of Cashel. Yeah, it's not just Cashel, Jenny, because we saw there was an incident, a similar story in Wicklow, a town a similar size to Cashel, where 400 refugees were due to come in, but that was stopped after locals um, kicked up about it. But I mean, 400 in it. Could you imagine 400 refugees uh, in Cashel? Uh, Ali, uh, look, hey... It is like everything else. Uh, 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 nobody seems to know anything. Our representatives from Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, they didn't know anything. The councillors, uh, nobody had the courtesy to tell them. And in all honesty, uh, as I said uh, about Liam Brown, if he hadn't uh, 
uh, uh, harnessed uh, a gathering of uh, well over 500 people. And I believe that the meeting, uh, it is like everything else, was well conducted in that, but people were angry. And they were certainly entitled to be angry. Mm. Now, if we had a minister coming down today, we'd have everybody, representatives, the whole lot, all going to meet them. But the minister... Whether it's Roderick O'Brien and a couple of more other ministers there, they all have maybe 15 and 20 people working for them. And to say that they could not uh, do the thing properly. I mean, doing it down on top of Cashland, I can only, when I read it in like that, uh, the hostel in John Street is, is for homeless people, basically. And the minister said he didn't know anything about it. I mean, does he think he's talking to right Joe Soaps altogether? Mm. With Dublin, and I'll finish on this, it seems to be get him down the country, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And nobody cares after that. And Mr. Daverton, who lives in John Street, and the Davidons have been associated on name with Cashel for a long, long number of years. It's not fair on those people that are chairman of committees and uh, in John Street and, uh, and around the town of Cashel. And uh, it's not fair on people. It's not fair on the hospital system. It's not fair on the doctors uh, uh, and and everything else. You know, and I don't know. Uh, maybe the government will certainly learn from this, and hopefully uh, our representatives will tell them in no uncertain terms. Because if I had been at the meeting early last Friday, last Sunday night, I would have said to the uh, to the Dáil represent uh, TDs, look, lads. It's as simple as this. There's an election coming up next year. And I want we want you to go back to your uh, government, uh, whether it is Fianna Fáil, Pingil, uh, Sinn Féin, uh, the Greens, or whatever the case may be, go back and tell them that there will be nobody canvassing for any representative if this thing goes ahead. The people... You'd want to see how uh, the people of Cashel uh, were really uh, uh, angry over the way the whole thing was uh, uh, conducted. But anyway, look, yeah. we could talk about it for a long, long time. And look, we were uh, talking about Ross Gray as well this week, and Ross Gray is also paying the price as well. A lot of people believe for the amount of refugees it's taken in and the level of antisocial behaviour in the town. So if, if there's any lessons to be learned, I think we need to look at Ross Gray. That's right, yeah, you see. And, uh, we had uh, three councillors there, uh, Declan Borges and uh, Michael Fitzgerald and uh, or somebody else. Oh, Declan Borges and Michael Fitzgerald and uh, uh, Roger Kendi yeah. uh, were there as well. Uh, of course, and mentioning Michael Fitzgerald, of course, it, it nearly hit the national airwaves that Michael Fitzgerald is not running again I and know. how disappointing how disappointed uh, all of us are because he was he's one of the most approachable Absolutely. Pe- people that I've ever come across whether you vote Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, Labour, Greens you could vote uh, any anything it doesn't make any difference but if you have a problem everybody just turned to Michael Fitzgerald whether yeah. it was a council problem with roads or with water or whatever the case may be I see there uh, uh, my own myself there maybe a few months ago uh, there was a funeral in Golden and the water was actually gone in the area for three days and uh, I, I rang Michael and said to him, look, they have no water in this particular house. Uh, I said, and the funeral is there over the next day or two. And I don't know who he rang or what he got done, but I know one thing, when the taps were turned on, half an hour later there was water in the taps. <laughs> so to me, Michael Fitzgerald had huge powers. Uh, a smashing fella in every yeah. way. We might have a difference 
now and again, but I'll tell you, he never held it against anybody. And mm. he's involved in every sporting organisation, whether it's with Clan William, whom he played with, or with Kilfiekel, uh uh, rugby club which is maybe two miles from him his son Michal is treasurer there and he's involved in the GA in gold and he's involved in parish days and field days and outside of all that involved in a lot of charity work mm. uh, his work rate is unbelievable and look I would certainly like uh, uh, on behalf of lots, lots of people around just to as as I can't uh, log into uh, uh, Michael's website or web page or whatever else just to wish him a long and and uh, healthy life himself and Mary and the boys and girls and the family and of course the mammy Jane and uh, Vincent and James and Anne and Mary and Eddie and John and Declan and all of them uh, that's uh, a, a wonderful family and tremendous neighbours and mm. uh, always available uh, and that's I'll just uh, ask one question I eat, I'll make a kind of a, a, a state or a, a a statement as such, I wonder would Michael consider now that he's gone from the uh, uh, county council, would he consider going for the doll? Because to me, he'd be the greatest certainty of all times to win a seat in South Tipperary. One never knows. Stranger yeah. things have happened, Ellie. You never know, Johnny. Another <laughs> story we're going to discuss. Um, but hang on now, I'm just wondering, are you getting him to do that now to clear the way for you? <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, to be as if the seat came to the fourth new road, but one never knows, you know, uh, uh, what has happened. Listen, I got a grand letter during the week there from a guy that I worked with. I worked on the same street in Clanmel, John Joy. He used to work with Manor Produce. Sent me a lovely letter during the week, and of course, a, guy, a man called Paddy Collins down in Fremont in Charleville in County Cork, accidentally ten years or nine or ten years ago, he tuned into Tip FM on a Friday morning and uh, has been doing it. I got a smashing letter from him uh, there uh, uh, yesterday where, where I'll, I'll talk to Fran because Fran knows him anyway. He said, I tuned into your Friday morning programme by accident quite a few years ago and haven't missed a Friday since. I wrote a bit of a poem on that, but uh, uh, he said, I really enjoy you all on Tip FM, trusting you will, you will enjoy uh, uh, this Johnny and but down P.S. I hope I haven't offended you in any way. Indeed, uh, Paddy, you haven't. It's hard to offend you, I'd say. <laughs> and uh, of course, Kill Shield and Kill Cash are in the news. Uh, they have a big night tomorrow night in the Anor Hotel uh, here in uh, in Clanmel. It's the Jungle Challenge. It's based on I'm a celebrity. Uh, get me out of here to the Manila Hotel Saturday evening. At, uh, stores open at 7 o'clock. Tickets are at the uh, Manila Hotel and all pubs and shops, etc., in Kilshield and Kilcash. Uh, they have uh, 24 people uh, raising funds, much needed funds for the development uh, and sand baits, pitches, and all of that down in Kilshield. And they have the likes of Mark Kyo and David Power, the former temporary football manager, all taking part. And they're looking for, uh, they still have maybe nine or ten tickets left and uh, that so if you want to go if some clubs want to go and see how can they raise money because they're hoping to raise huge funds out of this so maybe one, and other clubs were talking about fundraiser just go down and have a look at this and see what can you do for yourself uh, Burton Court Burton Court Church they're holding a church concert fundraiser on Friday night next the 17th of November and tickets can be got at Maureen's shop 
So that's a fundraiser for the Burton Court Church. And uh, the raceway in Rose Green, the last meeting of the year, a big one, it's on tomorrow evening at 4 o'clock. There's a huge day there, and hopefully you'll enjoy the crack when you go over. And, of course, there's an art exhibition and uh, sale in Templemore, organised by Templemore Lions Club. Brian Gleeson, that wonderful up-and-coming rugby player from Lockmore, Casalini, will formally open the art exhibition and sale in the Templemore Arms Hotel Sunday the 19th of November. And it's in aid of the North Hip Hospice Pieta House in Bernados. Uh, the doors open here at uh, 1 o'clock and... Uh, uh, two o'clock is the uh, uh, kickoff. I just see there on the paper, bingo in Gorton, who is on at four o'clock every Saturday, over 2,600 in prize money. And uh, that's so, I'll tell you, Ellie, I mm. tuned in to, you could, you could ask the uh, your panel as well. Yeah. I tuned in the other night for the first time ever to that Irish thing, Gogglebox. Oh, yeah. And what did you make of it? The language is atrocious. <laughs> And, and I such mean a atrocious. Flower, Johnny. Mother of God above tonight, listen, there's nobody could use language better than myself, but even I was mortified. What, I what, thought what, what kind of language? I didn't think they cursed on that show, do they? Oh, Jesus, stop. You, if you tune into last Wednesday night's wonder, really? or Tuesday night, it was unbelievable. Mrs. Brown's boys would only be a fourth cousin of the whole team. And, and as I said, I'm well able to use uh, uh, language in that. Hey, inside in the middle of the whole lot, anyway, Temple Only Church, Temple Only Church in Bancher, they have this Sunday morning, 9.30 to 1 o'clock, a coffee morning in aid of uh, Hope Foundation. There's a young girl called Elia Hogan. Uh, she's trying to raise funds. Uh, there's a good raffle there as well. She's hoping to go out to uh, uh, abroad uh, sometime in March uh, with the Hope Foundation. So the very best of luck uh, to to uh, Elia as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, she's like everything else... Uh, the, the, when, when you can ask your panel to know, did any of them watch that bloody thing? Yeah. Um, See, I don't watch the Irish one now, but I watch the English one. I love the, the English one. The English one is mild compared to the Irish one. The Irish one was... Ex- I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that people haven't up in arms over the, over the language. And what was it they were commenting on? Uh, they were commenting on... Oh, Jesus, would you want to know? Uh, I do now. <laughs> I wonder if any other listeners, they're absolutely amazed at it, you know. But uh, anyway, I didn't hear much ab- uh, about it on the, uh, the Tip FM. Who oh, actually, uh, one must uh, uh, compliment and congratulate uh, uh, all the presenters, yourself, Ellie, and uh, Mr. Luby, and all of those, uh, Frank Curry and Emma, of course, and everybody else concerned, Noreen and the whole lot, there uh, for getting Tip FM uh, uh, more listenership out there, which is absolutely uh, uh, brilliant. You know, yeah, I mean, like, uh, well, look, it's, uh, it's like everything else. Uh, it was grand to, to be going up and not coming back down, isn't that easy? Yeah, well, I'll be here for another week anyway. That's the main thing. Johnny, can I ask you another thing we're going to discuss on the show later? I don't know, would you be partial to an animal bar? A what? An animal bar. Did you ever have an animal bar? No, what is it? It's a little bar of chocolate you get. It's a Cadbury's one. I think it's Cadbury's. And it has animals on the front of it. Now, they were... Oh, yes, I love them. Yeah, see? They're gone now, Johnny. They're discontinuing them. My God, they're both tonight. And are they going to discontinue that uh, mint with the foxes, glazier mints and all that? No, they're all fine. What's going is the animal bar and the caramilk. 
Do you ever have a caramel? I never had a caramel. Yes, I love, I love all them things. But a bag of potatoes and a sandwich in the evening before I go to bed. Well, you just have your sandwich and your bag of potato now because there'll be no caramel. I'll just tell you, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, you, you definitely have to tune in to uh, Tip FM to find out what's happening uh, in this country. But to think that, yeah, and yeah, the animal bear's going just because there's an animal on it. I presume the bear's no, no, coming. No, no, It's not because there was an animal on it. It's because they're just saying there isn't much sales in it, which I don't really understand because, I, like, if you have a child... An animal bear is the thing you'll buy because it's a great maybe, maybe size. If, maybe if they all came down in price. May, well, just did a, You know, uh, but uh, one would like to say on the farming issues there that were on during the week and that, look, uh, potatoes in my book, the spuds are going to get desperate here yeah. because there's still over 60% of them in the drills. Uh, I was talking to a man called Eamon Gaynor. His dad was Len Gaynor during the week and he told me the beet harvesting is almost impossible to get into the gardens. Uh. They are so wet at the moment and uh, that uh, so to like everything else, famine is going through a bloody rough patch at yeah. the moment with the price of uh, the milk and, uh, the the, and you know, yeah. fertilizers and uh, bales of silage now are maybe 50 odd euro uh, uh, delivered and uh, the bales of straw and the bales of hay like uh, all the cows cattle and everything else is nearly enough to feel. So it's going to be a long bloody winter with maybe all November, December, January, February, March. You're looking at maybe six months of the year being housed in, you know, and fed and the whole lot and it ain't easy. But look, it's like everything else. Uh, there's not there's not an awful lot that we can do except to like everything else. Just to say, lads, look, these, they are tough times. There's yeah. no question about it. Imagine we anyway, might have to have pasta with our Christmas dinner, Johnny. Imagine. Pardon? We might have to have pasta with our Christmas dinner and no spot. <laughs> Well, I'd say one thing, I'd be having a burger anyway. <laughs> <laughs> a turkey burger, I hope. Yeah, not at all. I eat the burger. I love the battle burger. Or not the battle, yeah, the battle burgers and all them things. Look, I know there's commotion over the China market and things like that. But anyway, look, I, life goes on. Fellas will eat what they want to eat. And that is. Absolutely. Johnny, great to talk to you. Have a good oh, weekend. Ellie, Ellie, yes, go I, I, Ellie, I just want to finish up by saying uh, that uh, if you're going to Glitz, Dash Groove, G-R-O-V, fundraiser. It's in aid of the palliative care services in the community hospital of the Assumption uh, in Tullus and Shorehaven. Uh, they're trying to do a retreat area in the garden for the uh, palliative cases. And uh, tickets are on sale from uh, uh, Teresa Corbett at 87 625 uh, Also uh, from Josephine Ryan, 86 081-5355 uh, shop in Tullus uh, and that uh, to the one, they have top class uh, singles I think Father Jimmy Purcell those people are uh, doing it it's a huge fundraiser it's in the dome on the 2nd of December uh, 7 o'clock sharp so hopefully uh, looked they'll get a good response and uh, they said to say a sincere thanks to uh, Fran, yourself and everybody else in Tip FM for uh, just uh, allowing us to talk about it. Absolutely, our pleasure. Johnny, great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Ali, very much. Thank you. That's uh, Johnny Luby there. Thanks to the listener who just said animal bars are Nestle, not Cadbury's. Thanks for that. Uh, Rose, I think, sent that in. Thanks for that, Rose. Another listener says, I've no problem helping misfortunate people, but enough is enough. The system for incoming people needing protection or refuge is beyond shocking. 
Why have the Immigration Department not been brought before the government to answer questions as to why these people are not assessed within a short time period? Any Ukrainian able to travel home to the Ukraine should be told to remain if they can travel back. Uh, you do not need refuge here. Um, and any undocumented migrants should be put straight back on the same airline that brought them to Ireland and Ireland should find that airline just like Australia does. Another listener says, thank God Ashling's family got justice. The government have a lot to answer for allowing monsters like that into the country. He was on disability money when, when did we ever see disabled people cycling bikes? Yet genuine Irish people can't qualify. That's from Teresa. Keep those texts coming in to us. 083 311 uh, when we return, we will be talking about the verdict that was given down in the Ashling Murphy trial yesterday. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. The big story, of course, over the last 24 hours is that Joseph Pushka was found guilty of the murder of primary school teacher Ashling Murphy yesterday. The 33-year-old from Lanali Grove in Mokla County, Offaly, is now facing a life sentence after being convicted by a unanimous jury verdict yesterday. Deborah Naylor is court's correspondent for Virgin Media News and she joins me now. Deborah, good morning. Good, Deborah. Good to talk to you this morning. Um, I, I'm sure everyone is uh, familiar with the details at this stage, but uh, just, I suppose, for the benefit of background, could you bring us back to the beginning of this case? Yes, well, opening the trial back in October, um, the prosecution said the violent death of a young woman, you know, might be something that attracted visceral revulsion and told the jury to leave their sympathies aside. And Anne-Marie Lawler, prosecution counsel, she did say that the case was not about Ashley Murphy, who was attacked um, along the Grand Canal on a sunny, sunny January afternoon. She said it was about a man who was charged with her murder and whether or not Joseph Pushka um, was guilty. And one of the first witnesses to give evidence in this trial was Jenna Stack, who was out for a run um, on January 12th last year. She said she saw a man you know, crouched over a girl in the ditch. Um, and, and that girl, it transpired, was Ashley Murphy. And she said she was crying out for help, uh, but there was no sound coming from her. And she said that Yosef Pushka told uh, her to get away. And witnesses during the trial would later recall the frantic efforts that were made uh, to save Ashley Murphy's life. And she was wearing that day her, her local Camogie club top. She was wearing her, um, you know, a, a pink woolen hat, a gold necklace. Um, and these were all exhibits that were later produced in the trial. But uh, sadly, of course, as we know, she died at that scene from multiple stab wounds to her neck. And it was after that point that a, a murder investigation was immediately launched. And this case uh, went on for, I think, just over three weeks. How long did the jury take to reach a verdict? It was a very short time, Alison. Uh, it took them just one hour and 54 minutes to find Joseph Pushka guilty of murder by a unanimous verdict. And the worry yesterday, was it was very tense at first and then emotional scenes, as it always is when um, jurors are returning that verdict. And it was just after lunchtime um, that the registrar announced um, that a verdict had come in and 
slowly, uh, the well, actually quickly, the Murphy family began to file into the court. And I think it was uh, Ashley's sister Amy, her brother Cahill, her boyfriend Ryan Casey, they came in first, followed by her parents and um, Kathleen and Pat. And Kathleen was very poignantly, and um, she's holding on to a framed picture of her daughter. And we did have to wait some minutes for uh, Mr. Pushka's uh, interpreter to come into court. But once uh, she arrived, uh, the jury came in announcing its verdict soon after. And they found that Joseph Pushka had been the assailant to did violently kill Ashley Murphy along the banks of uh, the Grand Canal. And you may have heard those comments from Mr. Justice Tony Hunt yesterday. He told the jurors that they had made the right decision and he said he was glad that they didn't waste any more of their time with um, Pushka's nonsense, as, as he called it. And he had urged them in this case to return a verdict in accordance with the evidence. And he told them as they were leaving um, the court yesterday that there was evil in this room. I thought those comments were, um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would, would welcome them and agree with them, certainly. But I was surprised by how hard and honest he was in his commentary. Were you surprised by that? Um, I mean... I think it was a case where the evidence, as the prosecution said, was overwhelming. And I think it was a very difficult trial um, for for all involved, and particularly, of course, for the family of Ashley Murphy. And I think everyone's thoughts are with them today. But the evidence in this case was certainly, it was very harrowing to listen mm-hmm. to. Um, there was very graphic evidence heard in court. As I described that witness, Jenna Stack and her friend Eva Marin, describing um, those effectively coming across the middle of this attack. We heard about the efforts made to save Ashley's life. There was that day in court where her the clothing she was wearing was produced in court, the post-mortem evidence. There was just so many difficult days for the family mm-hmm. that I, I perhaps feel like um, the judge was really just reflecting that. And also, of course, we have to remember as well that Yosef Pushka, uh, not only uh, was he someone, he is a right, he had a course of right not to plead guilty, uh, as any citizen does have a right to a trial before a jury, but he took the stand in his, in his trial and he testified and he had, as the prosecution said, he was an inveterate liar. He lied to Gardaí during the investigation and when he got into the witness box, he lied on oath and he claimed that he had been helping Ashley Murphy on the day that she died, that the same masked man um, attacked him first and then attacked her and really his, his lies just didn't hold up whatsoever in court. And obviously the jury agreed with that as well because it was, you know, it was a verdict coming in um, after such a short time. They didn't believe anything he had to say and, and maybe perhaps the judge was reflecting those sentiments in his comments yesterday. Yeah, Deborah, there's some commentary in reports as well this morning, particularly newspaper reports of the behaviour of the Pushka family following the verdict. What can you tell us about that? To be honest, I did not see any of that in court yesterday because where I was actually sitting, I was feet feet away from uh, the defendant. So I was sitting to to his right along the media bench. So I had kind of uh, I could see uh, very clearly the, the you know the family behind me, and I could see him uh, and the interpreter to my left. But I I certainly I didn't hear anything else from the family. Um, what I do know is, you know, he had family members present in, in court with him every day, supporting him throughout this trial. I've obviously read the report um, this morning, but it's not something I, you know, I, I personally heard. So, yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, but I am, I am aware of them.
what I was um, what I like to see as well yesterday I know the family gave a statement outside after the verdict and after they were finished um, the media applauded them and I thought that really shows um, the level of I suppose respect and love that the media had for the family in the stoicism that they showed throughout this trial they really did. I mean, I it was one of those cases where you just think the dignity that the family have shown throughout this case and the strength, yeah, the real strength to be able to sit in court every day. And they sat through every single minute of this trial, and um, you know, difficult and all as it was, and the evidence that they had to listen to, and they were so dignified throughout. And um, yeah, and I think there was, you know, there was real just people. People's hearts were, I think, similar to to across the country, people's hearts are just absolutely broken yeah. uh, for them. They're just the senseless, uh, random nature of this attack, the violence that Ashley was subjected to, such a, you know, a beautiful young woman. And I just think the way she was described yesterday um, by her boyfriend, I think he, he was a boyfriend or a partner of six years, Ryan Casey, um, describing her as a vibrant, intelligent, you know, highly motivated young woman. And he said that she embodied so many traits, so many qualities, uh, of Irish people and community and referred to her life having such a big impact on those around her and her being the epitome of, you know, the perfect role model for little girls. Mm. And she really was. And it's also a family that is so deeply embedded in the in their community in Tullamore as mm. well. So I just, I think the media, along with probably everyone else around the country, just really wish that family well and hope today that although this verdict is not going to bring Ashling back, that hopefully it will bring them some closure. Deborah, can I ask you finally, just on a personal level, we know that this case has hit people in this country very hard. I think particularly women, it's fair to say, as a journalist covering this story, was this one of the hardest you've ever had to cover? Yeah, to be honest, it was. And that's not to say that, you know, I suppose to push uh, any victim's life above another. Of course, of course yeah. um, And I have been, you know, doing this job for many years and all cases are difficult and your heart would go out to any family um, of any victim. But certainly this, yeah, it was a really difficult case to cover because your heart would have just gone absolutely yeah. out to the Murphy family. And I think, you know, as a, as a woman myself, you know, that's a, that's another aspect of it. And I think everyone in the country had that sense that it could have been anyone's friend, anyone's daughter, anyone's sister, anyone's girlfriend. And that was just the real horrifying aspect of this case. Um, and, and indeed, it could have been anyone um, on that day that Ashley w- was, was killed. But unfortunately, it was her. Um, and I think, you know, that sense just really uh, pervaded throughout this case. Deborah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Wish you all the best. Thank you. That's Deborah Naylor, their courts correspondent for Virgin Media News. And yes, of course, it is a relief to have a verdict now in that case and some semblance of closure for the family, but the senselessness of it is just heartbreaking. Let us know what you think. 83 311 Welcome to the Tip FM High Digital Online Skills Tips. Brought to you by Vodafone Ireland Foundation and alone. High Digital is an online skills course designed with older people in mind. Today, we're giving you tips on how to use online maps to plan your travel routes. 
A website like Google Maps can tell you the quickest way to get to where you want to go and calculate the travel time. Whether you walk, cycle, drive or take public transport, it provides a map of the area you can instantly look at on your phone. You can see where you are and plan your route to your destination with tips on directions and even live updates on traffic. Check your smartphone to see if you have the Google Maps icon on your screen. If not, you can just type Maps into Google to find Google Maps and try it out. For a more in-depth tutorial on this and many other lessons, log on to highdigital.ie or call 1-800-203030 for more information. Brought to you by Vodafone Ireland Foundation and alone. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. As you heard during the ad break there, we've teamed up this week with Vodafone who are promoting their high digital initiative. It's an online skills training program for older people over the age of 65 developed by Vodafone in partnership with Alone. Uh, the training is available online or via in-person classes. You can go to highdigital.ie or call 1800 20 30 30 for more information. If you're a younger person listening and know someone in your life who could benefit from high digital, recommend it to them and let them know it's there. The topic's covered included how to use a smartphone, connecting with others on WhatsApp and social media, shopping safely online, following hobbies online and online banking. Also, just to remind you again, we'll be playing the Tip FM Match 3 game with Stakelum's Home and Hardware and Stakelum's Expert Electrical. Uh, later on in the show, possibly just before 11 o'clock, so if you want to register your interest and try to take part in today's competition, you can let us know 1800 or text or WhatsApp 083 Three double one double three double one. Just to bring you some texts coming in. Uh, PJ was in contact to say, you can paint the refugees with the same brush. Yes, they should be screened, but the local GAA and rugby clubs could benefit along with local businesses as well. Another listener says, I'm a taxi driver. I had to take a woman and an eight-year-old boy to Dublin Airport. She looked for a receipt to claim the fare back. She was going home for three or four weeks. Holidays to Ukraine. If it's safe to go back, it should be safe to stay. That's from one listener. Liam also says, hi, just an observation. The representatives for the late Ashling Murphy requested outside the court yesterday for privacy from the media. Yet prime time last night and most of the media today are still discussing it. That's from Liam. Well, I suppose, Liam, when a family um, appeals for privacy, it's just that they don't want to be contacted by media normally. But I mean, of course, you're going to have large media attention on a story like that. I mean, I think it's not just a, a hugely heartbreaking case, but I think it was a pivotal case for Irish society and the safety of women in this country. And I think it should be discussed I think it's, it's you know, our responsibility to discuss it. Another listener said it was heartbreaking and a relief to hear the verdict yesterday for the family of Ashling Murphy. I truly believe that any person in this country from another country that breaks the law should have their immigration status revoked. If the person that murdered Ashling Murphy is ever released from prison, he should be deported back to the country he came from immediately. Keep those texts coming in to us 83 311 1800 938 007. 
And now we were discussing the issue of antisocial behaviour as it pertains to Ross Gray yesterday. And we played a vox from the people of Ross Gray about their concerns about antisocial behaviour. The reasons for it were very varied. Um, and we'll be discussing that maybe later on in the show. It will also form part of our panel topic later on. So if you have any views on that as well, you can get in contact with us. Another item we were discussing at length as well this week, of course, was the issue of smartphones for young primary school children. That's another topic we'll be discussing with our panel later. And it sparked a huge reaction on the show this week. Louise was in touch with us and she joins me now. Hi, Louise. Good morning, Alison. How are you? I'm great, Louise. Good to talk to you this morning. Tell me, where do you stand on the issue of smartphones for children? Should they have them? Uh, no. <laughs> um, basically, that, that was a very I'll, straight answer. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is. For primary school children, Alison, I think it's... It, it's not necessary. I think the primary school children have so much that they could be doing other than being on a device. I think they're introduced far too young in children's lives. Um, especially in primary school, they've got a lot of respect for their teachers. And if a teacher is saying it's fine for you to get out your, your phone within a classroom environment, then it's just giving them the green light then to think, well, of course I can have it, of course I can use it. Um, there's, there's no need within the education system at that early age to bring in any real device. There's so many things they are doing in the classroom. There's so much out there in the world they can be looking at. So everything is, is The world is a wonderful place. There's plenty of time for a device to be given to a child. It's We know they're out there. We know we have to just go with the times. Of course we do. Um, it's a long way from when we had short boards Absolutely. at school. but. And, and we we have to accept that, and I do. I'm not a dinosaur, but there's a time and a place for, for everything, and I don't think primary school children need to have that within an educational system. I really don't. You know the pressure, though, the parents will be under, Louise, when you have a child coming home to you and they'll say, well, Tommy has a mobile phone and I'm the only one in my class who doesn't have a phone and it's not fair and I look stupid now and they're all talking to each other and I can't talk to them. It, it yeah. is a lot yeah. of pressure. Oh, there, I totally agree, Alison. I have two teenage children myself. I went through the whole journey with them, and it is very, very difficult. Um, they both didn't get their phones until they went into secondary school. Um, they're both now, what one is 15, one is 18. Um, they use their phones, of course they do. But I think when you introduce a device um, so early in a child's life, I mean, Alison, I had... I even guess well, it was last week I was shopping I saw a baby in a car seat and the mother had put a blanket in front of the baby and had propped up a phone with the phone on and the baby was just eyes bulging looking at this screen in front of them and I just thought where has the interaction gone with the child that they're not involving the child was very small I mean, he was in a, a little kind of rocker top thing yeah. and it was almost like they were what kind of mindset has a parent got when they think it's it you know they should be interacting with the child letting the baby look around at other people's faces letting them sit the sights and smells of the shopping letting them look at other people Do you know that eye contact is so essential and i i actually when i text yesterday i had written you know that you know dare i say it lazy parenting um and i might be condoned to that but it it's it is it's completely yeah, I, I think there, there probably is an element of that, to be fair. And, I, and I've been one of those parents as well. Here, take the phone there and just give me a bit of peace for 10 minutes. Mm, like, we've mm, all mm, done mm. it. But I, I truly mm, believe that they're addictive. And I think that's what the problem is. 
Absolutely. And when we're starting that at a very young age, that stimulation a child needs, they're going to require that. And that's what happens. The more um, I know of young people that have had devices very young, and they are literally addicted. First thing they do in the morning, get up, they're sitting yeah. there looking at them. They recently came to stay at my house for a few days. And I was just aghast at the way they were sitting there in the morning. I would come into the room and they would just completely didn't even acknowledge my existence until I had to actually put take them down you know say to their mother look you know we we kind of don't do that in this house and they put them down and you know oh hi hello and I've been in the room I've been walking around and that's what I couldn't understand and I I see when people go out the lady was speaking yesterday about people going out to restaurants and um, having um, meals out wonderful time they are such precious moments with our children it's a treat to go out and have something to eat you you talk about so many things you look at the menu you encourage them to choose what they want you encourage you know their manners please and thank yous but what i'm seeing now is children just being they're sitting there with their devices completely devoid of what's going on around them and Um, you know what i think that is louise and sorry to cut across here i think a lot of that is the fear that a lot of parents have that the child will throw a tantrum in the restaurant so the phone kind of will appease them a little while to Mm -hmm. to kind of counteract any tantrum that might come because i I think every parent is terrified of that of a public tantrum on for, for many years, Alison. That's gone on for... We, we've always had that, whether there was devices or not, and that's where parents need to parent. That's where devices whether you are told say to your children we are not bringing them in this is how you will behave and then we have to deal with that tantrum there are so many parents out there that we we didn't have devices we might have had if we were lucky uh, you know you do a bit of coloring i know times have changed ellis and i know that but i do believe that parents are responsibility for the way their children act within a social setting and if their children are throwing tantrums or that they they need to deal with that tantrum not that the fact that it's the device then remove the device i know it's easy for me to say now my children have grown but i set very strict rules when we went out and you know that and that's how they behaved because if they didn't i removed them from that situation and we didn't do it again and when parents say you know i want to go out and i want to enjoy my meal well i'm sorry you've got kids um you have to interact you have to deal with the circumstances and you also got to say to your children look at the server have some respect Say your please and thank you. Eat your meal. Don't have your device and and interact. It's it's all about parenting. And yeah. I, I know Louise, I, I got to have to leave it there, I'm afraid, because yeah. I'm way over for news. But it's oh, been I'm great sorry, to talk Alison. to you. You're okay. Thank you it's so been a pleasure. Much. All the best. Yeah, thank, thank you Louise. so much, Alison. You take care. Tip Bye-bye. today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on. You can't beat experience with over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans. We like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 2411 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. The phone lines are open 1800 938 or you can text or WhatsApp 083 311 Now the dust is beginning to settle on the Molly Martin sentencing trial which took place this week. Judge David Hall imposed a sentence on both Tom and Molly Martins that will range from 51 months to 74 months, four years and three months to six years and two months. But the real talking point from the trial were statements made uh, throughout the, the court process 
journalists and throughout the trial about Jason Corbett, that he was an abuser and his family had to sit through testimony which completely eviscerated their loved one. Michelle Pockaber is Chief Executive of the Crime Victims Helpline and she joins me on the line this morning. Michelle, hello. Good morning, Alison. Good to talk to you, Michelle. I think, you know, for most of this trial, it felt like Jason Corbett himself was on trial. Why is this allowed to form part of court proceedings? Well, uh, in America and as well as in Ireland, there are you know, common law countries with an adversarial system. So when a case uh, makes it to trial, it is a system of the prosecution is, you know, kind of pitted against the defense, and they're both kind of fighting to see who's going to be, for lack of a better term, the, the winner, right? Mm. So who is going to prove beyond, you know, the, the prosecution has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that a crime took place and that this particular person committed the crime. Now, it's a brutal system, and it's a very high threshold as well. Uh, so you get this situation where, you know, it gets very ugly for the victims, the victim's family, um, and that it's an incredibly difficult uh, way to achieve justice. And what you will often hear is victims saying that the, the criminal justice system and the court process itself was more traumatizing than the crime itself. So, you know, in in other countries, they have you know different systems. There's you know in the continent there's a, an inquisitorial system. Um, so and it's more their civil legal system is more trying to find the truth and mm. it's led by a judge and it's more again getting facts and trying to to form a, an accurate picture of what took place. So it tends to not drag people through the mud quite as much as the system that we have in Ireland as well as in America. So do you think if this case was heard in Ireland as opposed to the US, would that kind of line of defence been different? I think it would be very similar in that the defence has a job to do and the defence has to do everything that they can to defend their client. Um, and unfortunately, that can mean, um, you know, asking very difficult questions, being very aggressive towards the witnesses, you know, and in, in this system that we have as well, it's that it, when there is a victim who goes onto the stand to provide evidence or to, you know, testify, they are treated just like any other witness. So they can be, you know, asked very appalling questions, very, you know, private, you know, questions, uh, you know, things that are quite shocking. And they have to endure that sometimes for days at a time, uh, you know, up on the stand. And it's a, it's a really incredibly difficult process. What is the, the intention with that, do you think? Is it to break the witness and create doubt for the jury? Yeah, I, I think that is, yes, that it's to cast doubt on the evidence that the prosecution is presenting. Um, you know, so with this system, oftentimes the victims, again, the victim's family, they're very much on the periphery um, of the the criminal justice system and that they are, you know, looked at as, again, witnesses, not necessarily like the center of the story or the center of the incident that has happened. Um, and they're 
have been really positive changes over the last, I'd say, 10 years in Ireland in terms of us, you know, bringing in some rights for victims. So, because prior to 2015, victims had almost no rights in the criminal justice system. So, you know, over the course of the 10 years, we've seen um, the right to make a victim impact statement for victims, um, the right for children to have special protections, because we certainly saw, um, you know, in the Jason Corbett case, his, you know, his children, Sarah and Jack, what they went through as children. And with the rights that we have in Ireland, the hope is that children will be treated um, with care, special protections, that they should only be interviewed uh, by people with special training. So there are things coming into place to make it easier for victims to go through the system and, you know, hopefully make the justice system work better for everyone. And to hopefully, you know, get people to to, to be more comfortable um, reporting crimes. Mm. There was uh, research that just came out about rural crime and how um, farmers, about almost 60 percent of crimes that they've, you know, been impacted by theft, um, they don't report it. Like so, we're missing a lot of um, of people who have been victims of crime, and we're missing out on really bringing justice. Um, getting justice for people who have been victims of crime. Yeah, and when it comes to the Jason Corbett trial, I think a lot of people have trouble understanding how accusations can be made against somebody. And obviously you can't libel the dead, so anything at all could have been said about Jason Corbett, and they didn't even have to prove it. They just had to put out that statement. Yeah, I mean, again, very, very difficult for the family that had to sit through that. And then it shows how important that victim impact statements are. Because without those victim impact statements, nobody would have been the wiser for for what the family thought, what the children thought. They would have had no voice. And, um, you know, in hearing Sarah and Jack and then Tracy as well, um, Jason's sister, to be able to hear a completely different side in what people would say is the more accurate um, portrayal is so important. So you're not left with that, uh, the, the picture that was painted by the defense. Yeah. What more do you think needs to be done to try and protect victims of crime, particularly in the court system? Well, I think that really having, we have some really good rights for victims on paper in terms of the legislation has been passed and there are rights. And it's just now a lot about making sure they have access to them. So a lot of victims of crime will have um, the right to special protections um, in speaking specifically in the court system, right? So they should be able to testify through video link, right? So that's where you're in a different room from uh, the perpetrator or the, the um, you know, the, the, the offender, yeah. the accused. Thank you. Yeah. Um, at, or there's a screen where you don't you're in the same room, but you don't have to actually see the person in the courtroom because I mean, it's incredibly um, intimidating and difficult for victims to have to be within, you know, very, very close to the person who's um, harmed them. So, you know, there's these these rights that and the more that people can be protected in that way, um, people have a right to 
you know, be in a separate area from the family and friends of the accused, right? So a safe place in the courtroom to sit and wait before they are, you know, called to, to provide evidence. Um, all of these things, all of these protections really need to be put into place and consistently uh, provided to um, victims uh, so that, again, they are they are protected from the worst impact of kind of the system that, that is in place. Um, so that's really, really important. Um, having support. So there's a great organization in Ireland called um, Victim Support at Court. So they will sit with victims and victims' families um, through the court process, explaining what is happening, um, giving them, you know, information. And that type of support, again, should be strengthened. It's so important to have that um, and have it available for all mm -hmm. victims. Oftentimes, you know, we the, the horrendous uh, cases get a lot of the attention, and rightly so. But this is a right for every single victim, right, for any crime. And so it's really looked at as it's important about who has this crime happened to? Are they particularly vulnerable? Right. Do they have you know, additional needs or special needs that should be met? Um, so it's not just about what the crime was. It's how it's impacted the person who it's happened to, how it's impacted their family. And I think as well the community. And we can see with the Ashley um, Murphy case how the whole community can be traumatized yeah. uh, by one act um, of violence. What also springs to mind as well when we talk about the Ashley Murphy case, and I suppose it's pertinent as well to the Corbett family, is the aftermath of a court case. Because I think some people might be under the assumption if you get a ruling, whether it goes in your favour or not, then there's closure and you can move on. But for families who've been, I suppose, re-traumatised by the judicial system and, and the court case itself, that can often be very difficult for them, I'd imagine. It is. You know, the adversarial system... You know, it, it is pitting one side against another, and then you know you get the sense of oh, who's going to be the winning side? But there's no, there's no winners. Yeah. There's no winners. You never. It's very rare when a guilty verdict comes out, and there's rejoicing. That's not the type of system. You know, it is. It's not the impact it has. You know, people often hope that uh, a guilty verdict will bring closure um, and some kind of healing, and, and sometimes it does. But sometimes it doesn't bring the closure and the healing that people hope it will, yeah. um, you know, unfortunately, because it is a lot of it's about time, getting proper support, um, getting specialized, you know, counseling and support, um, getting financial support. There's, you know, a lot of things that go into the healing process. And, and one of the things that I, you know, I've been working with victims of crime for a very long time, both in America and now in, in Ireland. And what I'm always find so remarkable is the resilience and the strength and the dignity that uh, victims bring through the process. And so I think that one thing, a, a takeaway is that, you know, people um, given proper support, given time, um, you know, they are able to, you would know, get some sense of closure and healing and never, it never fully goes away. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but again, people have a remarkable ability to, um, again, maintain dignity and strength through through this very difficult process. Yeah. Michelle, can I ask you finally, I'm sure for a lot of people, the cases over the past few days, the Ashley Murphy case and the Jason Corba case, it might be triggering for some people maybe who've gone through that process, who found it uh, almost traumatising, I suppose. What advice would you have for them and who can they contact for help? I would say reach out for support. Nobody is going to judge you. So there's some very good resources in Ireland um, to support people. So one, there's the Crime Victims Helpline, which is my organization that can be reached at 116006. So it's a free-to-call number. Um, again, 116006. We support all victims of crime. There is also the, um, the Women's Aid National Domestic Violence Helpline as well as the National Rape Crisis Helpline, um, which are both very good organizations that can provide support 24-7. And even just the Samaritans, the Samaritans are a listening ear. So I would say don't hesitate to reach out. You can reach out and speak to someone anonymously. Um, you know, you can, what you say and what you want to talk about can remain confidential. Um, and to not suffer in silence. Um, and that um, if it's happened to you, it's, it's happened to other people and there are, there's a listening, supportive ear for you that we're not here to judge. We're just here to support you and listen. OK, Michelle, so lovely to talk to you today. Thanks so much for your advice. Thank you, Austin. Thank Take you, care. Michelle. That's Michelle Puckhaber there, who is chief executive of the Crime Victims Helpline. Patrick says no one wins in a murder case. Two families are left destroyed. Both sides become victims and it never goes away. No matter how much time passes, it's always in the background. Another listener says, so happy that uh, Yoshif Pushka was found guilty of Ashling Murphy's murder. He went out with intent that day when he carried a knife and unfortunately it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't the beautiful Ashling, it was going to be another woman that day. The way his family behaved in court after, after the verdict, they should all be deported as they aided and abetted him. Uh, yeah, I was speaking about their behaviour with uh, Deborah Naylor. Now, she didn't go into much detail, but if you look at any of the national papers this morning, you'll see um, there was a lot of shouting. There was one woman who stood up and um, I suppose kind of directed, uh, she was holding a religious symbol and pointed it towards everyone in the court and says, I think it was Jesus be with you or something like that. And then they were escorted out of court. Um, a lot of the papers commenting this morning, the lack of remorse that was shown by him and by the family as well was particularly hard to witness. So that was all in court yesterday. A most difficult, difficult case for the family, I can't imagine. And the stoicism that they showed afterwards, just incredible. Keep those texts coming into us, 0833 311 We're back after this. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. The phone lines are open 1800 or you can text or WhatsApp 083 311 Now Nestle is set to discontinue animal bars after 60 years. The chocolate treat launched in 1963 includes a fun game on the inside of the wrapper. It also has two animals moulded onto the bar itself. The company has said sales have steadily declined over the past few years leading to that decision. On Twitter the company apologised for the disappointment Lots of people taking to social media following that news to express their sadness. Salvador joins me on the line now. Good morning, Salvador. 
Hi, Alison. How are you? I'm great. Good to talk to you this morning. Tell me, are you devastated over the animal bar? Oh, well, look at Alison. I'll tell you this much. There's an awful lot of talk today about the loss of biodiversity, and rightly so. But what about Choco diversity? That's what I'd ask. <laughs> the animal bar had its own little flesheen in the Choco system. And I suppose other bears are going to feel more vulnerable as a result. If the animal bar today could be the Freddo tomorrow. No bear is safe at this stage. It's funny you mentioned the Freddo because first I thought, oh God, the Freddo will be next now if the animal bar oh, is to go. And, and, and I'll, I, I'll say, like Alison, I suppose, we learnt an Irish phrase at school. Being blaster and on, a little is tasty. And I suppose yeah. that's where the animal bar excelled. It, it, it really did. And, do you know, it, it cracked, I suppose, in a deliciously satisfying way. When you when you broke it, it, it had what, I suppose, to kind of phrase what the Italians might call, it had a certain crackability oh, about Oh, Salvador, beautiful. It, it, it really had. And, you know, like, it, it, it was just enough to stave off the the hunger of, 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 of young kids. I mean, you could buy a goal of them there and you would still have enough left over for the rest of the shopping. It was the you perfect know, bar to buy the child, wasn't it? It wasn't too it, big, it wasn't it, too small. It was absolutely brilliant yeah. and they still ate for dinner. Yeah. And like the other thing I would say as well is you could slip it into an old envelope there for a, for a dear beloved friend yeah. or you could send it to randomers in, in offices. You could be sending back an old tax form or an insurance form. Slip in an animal bar there to brighten up someone's day. I mean, try that with the Mars no, or try it with a double-decker. You yeah. just couldn't. Johnny Luby was saying this morning that maybe the sale of it has gone down because they upped the price of it. And I remember when I was back in the day when I was buying animal bars, I think they were only 10 pence. But I think they've gone up to about 80 cent now or something. That's true. It's true, but like when you compare it with the other ones, a hundred calories, a meagre hundred calories, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I really don't know what to be saying about it. And, you know, it, was, it had such a lovely, colourful wrapping about it. It would make you feel better about the world in general. And I remember when we'd get one, we might get one in the back of the car and you'd be checking to see what animals did you get? I got a bear and a lion. What did you get? And it was great crackling. And, you know, in that statement, I don't know, did you see that yesterday, but I was reading it there, and I think they were saying you can still enjoy the animal bars in shops as long as stock lasts. But that's like saying you can still enjoy giraffes as long as the current generation of them last. (laughs) I mean, that's no no consolation. But I wonder now, the fact that they've announced they're going to be discontinued, you know, by nature of of humans, we're going to rush out and we're going to get them because they're going to be running out. And will will they turn around then, Nestle, and say, well, actually, maybe we made the wrong decision here because they are quite popular and everyone's buying them. Well, do you know what, Alison? There's always the thing called people power. Yeah. And we might might be able to turn this around yet. We had the whisper. Oh, I'll tell you what, though. I'll tell you what. Do you remember the travesty that happened a few years ago with the afternoon tea? Go on. The old jelly-topped biscuit that we'd always look forward to, which is the one thing you'd take out of the box at Christmas and you'd get the box of mm. afternoon tea, and they withdrew it. Oh. In, like, it was a sneaky move coming up to Christmas and all. Is it still I, gone? Well, that's fair. No, I, I, I'll have to admit, I have, as far as I know, it is. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I, I haven't eaten a jelly-topped afternoon tea biscuit in years. I it see, I always went for the, the pink wafer, Salvador. Did you, did you like pink wafer? I was wafers? a pink wafer woman, yeah. Oh, you, you can still get them, I'd say. Thank God, before they take that. Oh, um, the caramel is going as well then, Salvador. Would you be sad to no, see that one go? Too, 
to be honest with you now, I never had a close relationship with a caramel. <laughs> I never. I I say I've never tasted one in my life. I don't think now, I have I say, No, no, and and I, I'm sure other people like them, but like you know, as they say, shaka sangu, shaka sangu, like you know, everyone to their own taste and that. But I never. Never, um, I, I, I never tasted one to be honest. Yeah, no, I didn't. What, uh, so, you think the Fredo then could be next on the hit list? Oh, I'd say, do you know what? Everything is up for grabs at this stage. Over my dead the body, world, will the they get rid of the Fredo? The world is changing. I don't know whether you ever remember, but it was an awful travesty years ago as well. Do you remember years and years ago coming up to Christmas, you'd get a box of what were called Neapolitans? Oh, yeah. And they were made by Terry's that make the chocolate orange. Yes. And they just disappeared. In 2005, the factory closed down in York and it moved over to a place called Jankowice near Poznan in Poland. And they're still producing the chocolate orange. was fabulous. But the Neapolitans went by the wayside. Uh, do you know what I remember most from being young, my favourite sweet that's gone? Do you remember the fruit bonbons? They were kind of a hard oh, fruit sweet. I do. Oh my I God, do. I loved them. And they're gone as well. They're gone. I can still taste them to this minute when, you bring, when you bring it up. Yeah. They're fab. And the little white fab. paper that was around them. Oh, they were the nicest. Oh, no, no. They were, they were, so I really, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but it'll be... It'll be a dull Christmas now. We can't have nothing nice, Salvador. She we can't. <laughs> See. Oh, sure, stop it. So, uh, what will you go to now? If you can't go for the animal bar, and sure, you were never a fan of the caramel. What, what will you be reaching for now? Well, I'll tell you now, and I, 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 I won't do any product placement because we can't do that sort of thing on air. But I'll tell you, there is there's a lovely nutty bar that you can find in one of those German retailers that you'd find in every town in the country Good and man. a is for, a is for apple but we won't we won't ma- mention any names but there's a nutty hazelnut bar there and it has a lovely crackability about it as well mm. but it's not as not quite the same as the animal bar but right. it's still worth checking out you see i'm a tiffin woman as well and i feel like the tiffin could be next on the t- on the hit list because nobody really oh, buys tiffins no no uh, no yeah, we'll have oh, sure. to wait and see. Salvador, great we'll to talk to, to you. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks. All the Alice best. That's Salvador. A listener says, when I heard it, I was crying. The Animal Bar was one of my favourites. I loved it. Still do. Must get a box before they're gone. Uh, that's from one listener. Uh, another listener says, the chocolate is full of soya and palm oil. It's disgusting. It leaves a nasty aftertaste in the mouth. These companies are destroying our memories of our chocolate and biscuits. Even the bloody lemon Santi sweets. The box used to be full of sweets. And now they're separated. And in individual bags, is that right? Uh, the animal bar was a great treat for the children growing up. Keep those texts coming into us 083 311 or 1800938007. If you were listening, I think yesterday we played out a box from Ross Gray on the show on the residents there raising concerns about antisocial behaviour in the town. Martin was on to us about that and he joins me on the line now. Martin, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, Martin. Good to talk to you this morning. I know, look, Ross Gray in particular was in the spotlight when it comes to antisocial behaviour. I know, look, the reasons for it are quite varied and quite complex. Some people blaming the influx of refugees, some blaming alcohol, some blaming the lack of, of a, a 24-7 Garda presence in the town. What's your take on it? I suppose it could be just down to a number of all the factors together, I suppose, and, and the way the cost of the economy and everything's gone so expensive. I mean, it could be any one of those or just a combination of all, really. Yeah. 
But no, what but do yeah. you think needs to be done, do you think, to, to kind of combat antisocial behaviour? Well, I suppose the first thing you have to do is identify where the antisocial behaviour is coming from. Yeah. If you don't actually identify the, 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 the antisocial behaviour, the, the section that's causing it, or the, I mean, you can't really work on the issue then to stop resolve it. Yeah. So you, you listed out a number of different variables there, like, and surely, like, I, I presume if you talk to um, get a, a committee meeting or get a few people together, they can actually narrow down the, the, the variables down to a certain few and kind of won't go from there. Like, Yeah, well, I suppose what the main thing to do is to speak to the local people because they probably have the exactly. best sense of what's going on and, and where it's coming from. You exactly, you raised yes. the issue as well of, of looking at other European countries maybe for reference or comparison. What do you mean by that? Well, I, to be honest about when when um, Angela Merkel opened the borders in 2015, say, and allowed a, a, an influx of migrants. No, I'm not against migrants. Absolutely not against them. So it's just I'm just talking about. Mm. But the thing about it is, um, I actually got uh, I got onto a fellow called um, Stanley for four four Sweden, like the number four. And I was listening to him, and he and he was just an, an ordinary individual, well as well. And he just started up his own uh, YouTube channel. And then I started to hear from other other sectors, say in the UK and, and America, and they were talking about what was going on and. And even as you look at today, uh, he was talking about all the anti-social behaviour. There was no integration. And, like, there's a, an influx of people. And they have their own value system and their own kind of, um, like, their religion is their law. So yeah. they're bringing their law into the country that already has an established culture and established established laws. And it's like a, a, a country within a country, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, or a community, you in a community that doesn't really merge or has different values, something like that anyway. I, I agree with what you're saying. I think integration is a big part of it. And we have seen areas in Ireland where integration has worked. I know there's, is it Baltimore, I think, in Cork? That's a great example of how integration can work. And refugees were brought in there and, yeah. you know, form part of the community, join GA clubs, even set up local businesses, if not working for local businesses. So it can work. But their kind of assessment of why it worked was that they weren't kind of overrun. There was a small number brought in and a, a manageable number that they were able to integrate. Do you think that that's yeah, it, what the answer to it is? Well, it comes it comes down to the, the, the value system. Like you can't mix oil with water. If, if they don't want to mix, you can't mix them. They won't mix unless you unless you implement something else to get them to mix. Mm. Like I say, it gets controversial. I, uh, look, I look at at, at uh, look if you. I was looking at Douglas Murray there. And he was having an interview in twenty. Was it 2019? He was talking to the Hoover Institute and he was talking about the death of Europe, the strange death of Europe, and he was talking about the birth rate in, in Wales and um, England. And he was saying Mohammed was the top name, birth name. Yeah. And that made me curious then. And then I heard about it in, in Galway, the top name in Galway, in, in Irish, Ireland is Mohammed as well. And really? you can see, you can, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but here's the point about I went on then looking for more and I got onto a, an Indian channel called Weon, W I O N and Gravitas Plus, and they were talking about the birth rates around the world. And like, and they were saying the birth rate in Europe and uh, Europe, Western countries, has completely collapsed. We're not with Leicester, so we're, we're, we're down, I think we're 1.6. And you need to be at 2.1 to replace the population, and we're not next or near that. So in other words, then, if you look at that, roll that forward, going forward into the future. If you have a system, like you say, in our country, where we're not replacing ourselves, and basically, if you look, there's a, they're saying the costs are, are, are prohibitive, and the fact that l- lack of housing is prohibitive. How many young people want to actually go down that thing through that? Just, it's the same in a lot of countries. But the thing about then you bring in a culture where 
their their religion is their law. And I know, look, I'm not in any culture or any religion. I'm just talking. But you bring in a culture where they can have up to four wives, and they establish a community within a country, and they and 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 they start to have more kids. And we live in a democracy, as such, where numbers matter. So you've got a declining population where 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 an established population which is declining, and you've got a new population with a new culture coming in. And they're multiplying. And but but like bigamy is illegal here. It is illegal here, Martin. Yeah, I know that. I, it is illegal here, bigamy. But I don't. I, look, I don't understand that. But if you actually go listen, go back to a twelve years, uh, Doug Murray who was doing a debate with, I think it was in New York, one of the places called University of New York, and he was on the debate panel, and there was Muslims debating him, and he was talking about uh, Sharia law. Like Sharia law is, is active in, in Sharia law is active in England. Like they're running their own legal system in England. So if they're running it in England twelve years ago, they're running it here, and they're probably running it in America. It's the same, look, it's the same debate in, in America. If you want to go follow the debate in America, they're talking about this. But the fact that our population is aging and it's in decline, and I, I honestly don't know why that is. I don't know why government are not promoting the Irish people to three generate like like Hungary is doing and Poland and because it's I suppose it's because it's too expensive Martin and they want us working so we can pay taxes but should this is it but should then you have to ask the question what what are government doing like who, who are they representing like are they an Irish government or, or, or are they a universal government where they just represent everybody I mean why didn't I didn't vote for people like that I presume a lot of people don't vote for people like that I want someone that will represent Ireland represent Irish people and I'm not being biased against anybody else. I'm no no qualms with anybody else. I don't mind anybody coming to court. Give you an example. If you go back to your to your talk that I talk you you had there yesterday, just listening to radio, and a comment was coming coming back on it. Like they came into the country, they got free housing, and then they have this idea, this idea that they can just walk into any of the business and pick up any item they want and walk out of the shop without paying it. Where are they getting that from? Where are they getting that idea that they can just come into a country and everything's handed to them? I don't understand. Something like that needs to be needs to be understood. Like people need to understand why are they getting that idea? But uh, then you go, to be like, fair, Martin, I'd say a lot of that is because there's no follow through from any of the agencies involved. So they will gather these yeah. people and say, yeah. "Here you go. Here's your medical card. Here's where you're staying. Yeah. Off you go." So they're not clear on what they're entitled to. But then, not... there's a joint, then there's a total disjoint between what yes. the, the Irish people and the Irish government. And yeah. so then I go back to the question: Who does the Irish government or the universal government to represent everybody? But I found it very ironic that the government actually increased the doll numbers. I can't understand that because our population is in decline and they're supposed to represent the Irish population and yet they're increasing the, the, their, their TDs to represent the population. And from my understanding was, I was listening to a doctor speaking, I was most of, and she said our population, actually the Irish population was 3.8 million. And now it's gone up to somewhere like 5.8 million. Either somewhere nearly hitting the 6 million mark. I'm not I sure mean, on those not, figures. Yeah. yeah, but you see, that's the thing about you'll have to, it's, people have to own looking into that. But even look, as if it's five and a half million and we're only at 3.8 million, actually, figures. Like, where are, these, where are these numbers coming from? And I think people need to start looking at actually the value system, their value systems and the integration into a community. Do, does their value system actually fit into a Western style, style community? Do you know, my, my point of view is that I look at it from that way. Yeah. Do they integrate or do they just come in and create their own communities and, and then kind of establish their own laws? And 
you could look. I, I'm not. Like, yeah, I don't know, but I mean, that's where there needs to be joined up thinking between across all government agencies on that, and, and so people aren't just dumped in an area and left. You know, the local people are left to look after them. That's not and, fair. But it's the same. It's the same in Europe. Like, look what's going on now at the moment. There's, I tell you, I'm not saying, but I think there's, there's going to be major eruptions. I think there's a curl of unhappy, happy, or unhappy, and people across Europe. Like I look at Italy, Italy, and like no, they they elected Maloney there to stop the, pe- the influx of people coming in, and like in the same, there's 130,000 coming in at the moment, and Maloney's uh, um, means of, of dealing with that is to start trying, trying to set up centres in Albania, to send, and then it comes down to who picks up the refugees. But this has to go through EU. The EU has to sign off on all this, and the European Court of, of, of Law, or Human Court of Human Rights has to sign off on it. But also then you have the situation where France now are saying that they're just going to deport them, and Germany is going down the same road. They're saying, we're just going to deport them. Mm. And you can see why these, you can see why there's a stark change of attitude in, in the political side, because what's happening, you have the AFD in Germany, which are saying, Saying that that um, they're going to shut down, shut, stop the mass migration coming in because there's just too many coming in. And to be honest about if you, if you, I was the documentary even they, even in, in Denmark, like you can see what's going. It's really sad to be honest with you. It's yeah. just it's heartbreaking because there is genuine, there is genuine Absolutely. refugees yeah. there. And what's happening is they're letting in economic migrants that they will never support themselves. Like if I go back, to, I said to you about sanity for for, for Sweden. He was given data from the, from the Swedish side of it back years ago. And he was thought it was over 500,000 um, refugees came in. And most of them were living on social housing. And they got free housing and they got social welfare. And, there's, and even today, they're, they're not working. They're not integrating. They're not contributing. They're just on the system. Yeah. Martin, I'll have to leave it go, I'm afraid, for this morning because I'm out of time. But thank you so much not for joining all. us not today. Not Thanks for the conversation. Thank you. Bye no problem. Way. Thanks. That's Martin there. Let us know what you think. Uh, we might finish with Liam's text. He said, four wives. What? Add Jesus. If I had had it hard enough with one wife, how would I find it with four? Uh, my poor body has to have four wives. What would I do? That's from Liam. Thanks for that, Liam. It doesn't bear thinking about, does it, for a lot of men? Four wives. But there you go. Uh, keep those texts coming in to us. 83 if you've entered our match three, stand by the phones. We're going to have our uh, caller coming up. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on one. Welcome back to Tip Today. Barry was in touch with us. He says the only way I can see us fixing a lot of issues is for Ireland to leave the EU. I can see Poland, Hungary, and Italy doing the same thing. We are part of the Great Replacement. That's from Barry. Keep those texts coming into us. Oh eight three three double one double three double one, or eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven. It's time for this. Tip FM's Match Three Game. Tip FM's Match Three Game. We with Stakelum's Home and Hardware and expert electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurless. Stakelum's.ie Yes, it's time for the Match 3 on Tip FM. Sarah joins me on the line now. Hiya, Sarah. Hi, how are you? I'm great, Sarah. Good to talk to you. Well, have you been listening and, and putting down your numbers and trying to figure out where everything is? Kind of. Kind, kind of. of. We have, we Let's have see if it's working. Out. Where are you in the county this morning, Sarah? In Tip Town. In Tip Town. Well, let's see if we can get you something. Give me your first number there, so Sarah. Um, 73. 73. Okay, 73, Sarah, is a DeVille gas... Sorry, it's not. It's a Karcher window vac. Karcher window vac, okay? So uh, tell me what your next number is. Um, 41. 41. Ooh, Sarah, it's a Karcher window vac. 
Okay, we're nearly there. What's your next number? Um, number seven. Number seven. Sarah, guess what? Well, it's, it's a cart your window back. Lovely. Well done, you won. Fantastic. Well done. That's another prize gone uh, from the uh, match three for today. It's only our second one that's been won. Well done to you. What, what's the plan for it? Are you going to be cleaning all the windows now? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good use. Good woman, Sarah. Well done to you. And keep listening out. I'm sure that won't be your only chance if you're putting down the numbers. Thanks so much for that. Thanks very much. Oh, well done to Have you. Have a good day. You too. That's Sarah there uh, from Tipperary Town, who's one of the winners in the match three. Of course, we'll be giving you another chance to win throughout today as well. So if you want to be in with a chance, uh, keep following us and keep writing down those numbers. Well done. Tip FM's match three game. Unwrap an early Christmas present from Stakelands Home and Hardware and Stakelands Expert Electrical at Racecourse Road, Thurles. Shop online at stakelands.ie. Match three. Win the prize. Tip FM. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today, the final hour of Friday's Tip Today. Delighted to be joined, as always, by our Friday panel. This week, we have Lena Ryan, we have Carl Clancy, and we have Alison Devere Hunt. Good morning to you all. Good, Good morning. morning. Great to have you all. And we'll start, I think, with probably the main story of the week. It started with, I suppose, a big explosion on Monday of this news that we would have 74 refugees coming into Cashel. Today, as it stands, that has now been um, taken back. It won't happen. Alison, we spoke about this in Cashel. Uh, on Monday morning in relation to this I mean it, it started and it, it seems to have had a conclusion are the people of Cashel happy that a resolution has been found? I think they're relieved Yeah. Um, because the fear was palpable nobody knew what was going on and to you know this feisted upon us on a Friday when no one could be contacted in the department on a Saturday or Sunday and you know, if the government believed that what they're doing is right and what they're doing, the people are behind them on what they're doing, why is everything under such secrecy? Why are people being brought in in the depths of night? You know, people are starting to speak and thank God, you know, because we have no idea what was ahead of us in Cashel if it did go ahead. Thank God up in Wicklow and Animo yesterday, like 950 yeah. with a population of 100 Irish people in the village. Like, there's there's not going to be integration there because it's just too much. Yeah. Um, it does worry me that um, these people are going to be brought to other areas of the country. We're looking at Ross Lair at the moment, a nursing home for elderly people. Where are those elderly people going to go? Mm. Like, if I might read a quote from Simon Coveney um, in relation to Harvest 2040, he said, over the next 20 to 30 years, effectively, we want to attempt to double the size of all the cities in, in population terms outside of Dublin. The population of Ireland will certainly grow by an extra million people. Linked to that estimate is that half of that number won't have been born in Ireland. What? This is from, that's a quote from late 2019, early 2020. This is in the pipeline a long time. We also had an opt-in or an opt-out just like Denmark. I'd like to know what government, what, say, who in government signed off on this earlier this year that we were going to opt-in because I think that should have been put before a referendum for the people to decide. Yeah, I wonder under 
under law should it have been put? I mean, is that a change? I think only if it's a change to the constitution can it be brought before the people for referendum, if I'm correct. So, I mean, a lot of those decisions can be made behind everyone's backs. Well, and they are being made behind people's backs. But the thing is, we were, we're, we're one of the lucky ones in an opt-out, opt-in situation. Yeah. And I don't think the government thought of their people. You know, I understand we have to take people in and I understand there's people in grave difficulty. But we have a massive cohort of economic migrants coming in here. And that's where I see a massive difference. We, The Irish have always been to the forefront in helping. We've always been huge donators um, of our own resources and our own money to help other people. That I just think we've been kind of hoodwinked, basically, mm. on this. Yeah, right. Carol, it kind of feels like Irish people now feel like instead of helping that we're being taken advantage of. Do you think, is that a fair assessment of it? Well, absolutely. I think that perception is reality. And as Alison said, when you have people coming in under the cover of darkness, it means that a government is not acting with their people or for their people. They're acting for themselves. And the laws that we're now being governed by are, are European laws. Yeah. And those European laws are basically saying we have to take a certain quota of refugees. And I am pro-refugee. I think we have to help people who are in need wherever we can. The thing is, are we helping them? Because we're bringing them into this country, we're not giving them jobs, we're not integrating them, we're not even teaching them English, we're not teaching them any of our culture and our customs, and they're left in a limbo. And that means that we don't know who they are, they don't know who we are, and that's always going to breed fear. It's always going to breed frustration, resentment. The facilities in a town like Cashel or Rosslair or Animo... None of those places have the facilities or the structures in place. Mm. You can't bring uh, 900 people to a 100-person village. You can't bring 74 men to a town the size of Cashel unless you first said there's 75 jobs, there's 75 uh, a space where the 75 can learn proper English and a cultural integration where they can learn how Irish people live so that you can minimise the fear. We will welcome people in, no problem, 24-7. If they come in, and we have done this for generations, if they come in and say, hi, we're the new neighbours, how is everything done here? Yeah, Of course, we'll tell you how everything's done here. Come on in. You come along with our way of living because it is the Irish way of living that you have to... Adhere to. Yeah. Now, we have to make allowances for how they live within the privacy of their own homes. But they, in social settings, have to make allowances for how we live and how things are done in Ireland. Mm. We don't have any hope of integration for any of these people. We don't have the facilities, we don't have the structures, and the community, part of it is hysteria because you're afraid of what you don't know. And part of it is anger at the government bringing people in when we already have a problem. Yeah. And as I've said before, and Alison has uh, told me she, she's in full agreement with this, <laughs> when you get on a plane, the first thing they tell you is in the event of an emergency, put your own life jacket on first. Because otherwise you will drown and so will the people you're trying to help. And at the moment, Ireland is drowning because we're not helping ourselves Therefore, how the hell can we help anybody else? That's a great analogy. We're actually at the limit of 
how much we're able to help. And because we're at that limit, anything new is going to be met with resistance, with anger, with frustration, with fear. Why wouldn't it be? Yeah. We have 10,000 people who are Irish citizens who have no homes. How can we say that they are less important than a refugee? They are refugees within our country. Yeah. Lena, is the problem that it's being incentivised too much for people? Well, it is. I mean, if you look at the refugees that came into Ireland in 2022, <coughs> there was 749% increase from 21. 749% increase. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's not taking into consideration... As a colleague has said, the, 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 the 10,000 Irish that are refugees within their own country. I'm horrified at the comments, the, uh, the quote that... Um, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. That's Harvest 2040. Yeah, um, and that was when Simon Coveney was tarnished at. That wow, how did, that, how did think, that go? If you think about that, but you see, this was probably... Well, that was coming into COVID time. Yeah. So you see people were, you know, it's all about... So under the radar. Stuff, yeah, you know, saying stuff and bringing in legislation and different things when we're under pressure with something else. Yeah. It's, it's, say, happening every day of the week. We have 81,000 refugees that came in in 2022. We, we know we our health service is under. We know we have a housing crisis. We know we have an education crisis. And that's for our own Irish people. What is it going to be where we have language difficulties, we have uh, cultural difficulties... And, this is, and we're talking about increasing all of our cities, more ghettos, more problems, yeah. no employment. It's actually really scary when you think about it that. It is scary. And it just shows, again, of course, there's an election coming up, so we're putting all these things through. Um, and we're doing... The Cashel was probably, and I'm, I'm no basis for this comment, but it was probably because there was a revolution in, in Cashel. But was it also a political stunt? A revolution. I love that. Well, no, but I mean, it's the first time we're seeing Irish people because you're afraid to say, hang on a minute, our little village can't cope with this. Yeah. Because if you say it, you cause racist, anti-refugees, the, and the, the comment you always get, which really annoys me, is, well, the Irish went all over the world. Yes, the Irish went all over the world, but when they went, they worked, they integrated. How many Irish... And they never got a handout. Uh, yeah. But how many Irish have we seen? At least five in, in London recently. Elderly men and women who worked all their lives, paid all their taxes and had nothing. And you have communities fundraising to bury them. But, mm. uh, you know, but as well as that, the other thing I looked up just this morning, uh, when people are, refugees are coming to Ireland or migrants are coming to Ireland, there is a, a myriad of <coughs> pages on the government to help uh, those people and what they need to do and what to do. An Irish citizen returning to Ireland after being away, there is nothing. Yeah. Now, I, I, it was a quick look, but I couldn't find anything that says what, what, can, how, what help is available to an Irish person. There's three young people I know who are in New, Ze in New Zealand and Australia and they're getting older and they, they want to return home. But there are so many obstacles to them coming home and setting up um, to, to doing so. They, they're almost saying that we'll, we'll stay there. But they, they know their family and their extended families are here. You know, when are we going to start looking after our own, as well as looking after the people that we can look after? Yeah. As you said, 75 men coming into Cashel, no work, no facilities, no nothing for them. That just is not feasible. And it causes problems like was in Ross Grey, problems like we've had in Clonmel, problems like we've had in Dublin. 
Uh, and they're only the more people come in, the more problems we're going to have. Yeah, can I put it out to all of you because there seems to be a rollback from the government. Whereas a year ago, I think Matthew McGrath was probably the first in the doll to say we need to put a cap on numbers, and he was absolutely ripped to shreds on that. But now we're starting to see government ministers saying, "Yeah, we we probably do need a cap." So there is a rollback. But are we being sceptical in that response from government? Is it just because they're feeling the waters, they're getting finally getting the public feeling on it, and there's election coming up there's that and also there is you so i suppose look other european countries like germany brussels or belgium you know etc are now starting to deport a lot of these people where are they going to come only the land of milk and honey over to ireland where they you know the benefits in ireland are the best like we are not checking these out and that's the problem they're coming in and there's no, like, I can't remember what the percentage I read last night of people that are coming in undocumented. They're not even being checked at Dublin Airport. Yeah. There's no one being taken once. Well, there's probably some people being taken one side. But there's a cohort then that are turning up at, you know, social welfare offices. That's when they're being, you know, say, that when they're showing their faces. So... The whole, but I wonder, do wrong. they have documents then at the social welfare office if they don't have documents but, in the airport? Well, the thing is, I'd say they probably want to get out of the airport because there might be a chance they don't know that they'll be sent back, yeah. you know. Um, and like, here we are in Ireland deporting people and expecting them to leave of their own accord. Helen McEntee was interviewed by The Grip yesterday evening. Oh, my God. Like, who's going to leave of their own accord? Like, who does that? But if you deport someone, the, the, the Gardaí should be escorting them to the plane and off they go. And anyone flying in without documentation, they did not board a flight in any other country without documentation. So we should be sending them back on that flight. Bye-bye. You know, like, we can, that's, that is economic migration. That's not, People who are fleeing, as this, the saying went the other day, about men who are fleeing war take their wives, men who are going to war, you know, go alone. Yeah. And there is, you know, a mass exodus of people from North African countries and Syria, places like that. Now, I say there has been huge issues in Syria, but we're not set up for so many people that have come from war-torn countries because so many are suffering from PTSD. We don't look at CAMs. Yeah, You know, look at our... It's, everything is abominable. And to be trying to help others, we need to have systems in place to do that. And I don't see that as racism. I see that as, uh, you know, trying to be practical about what's here. And, and as Carol said earlier, we can't help others until we help ourselves. Yeah. And that's not being racist. That's just saying it how it is. The inn is full. We don't... like. It's 13,000 people that we... Say Irish people that we have... Um, homeless here in Ireland. 3,000 of them are children. Yeah. Like, we need to take a serious look at what's going on. And we need to take a serious look at our government. Because do they care about those people? You know... These people are flying into the country and they're bypassing our own. That's not racism. That's racism from the government towards our people. That's how I see it. And those people are vulnerable people that need to be protected. No child should be living in a tent or a hostel or a hotel. You know, we should be... there. All those vacant properties that we have, that they should be earmarked for our own first. And then, by all means, help. But, like, bringing people into a place like Ross Grey and filling it with Mongolians and many other races, Syrians, etc. And expecting that that's just going to be normal. Of course, people are going to get upset 
like men confined in small areas. As it was said at the meeting the other night, if you put four of, you know, a bunch of family in, their own, in a room on their own, yeah. there's going to be chaos. So these people don't even know each other. It's yeah. not fair on them. It's not fair on us. And looking back at the direct provision centres in the likes of Kerry and Clane, which you mentioned earlier, Carl, they, those people expected to be integrated by now. Those people expected jobs. And those people have been interviewed and have said, if we knew that this was the way it was going to be, we never would have come. Mm-hmm. Roderick O'Gorman's putting it out in seven or eight different languages, inviting people to come here, telling them what they're entitled to. So that's where this is coming from. This is coming from government policy. The Greens, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, and they need to answer to us, the people. We're the ones who pay the taxes. They're spending them in a ridiculous manner and it's time we called a halt to it. Yeah, and there's different, the pro- I think a big problem is too, there's different levels of refugee in this country. Ukrainians get a lot and, and will have accommodation, will have full welfare. Other refugees living in horrible circumstances and horrible um, environments in direct provision get very little money and as you said can't get jobs so Carl what is the solution to it? I think that we have to start with accepting where we are we have reached our limit how we got here is now not as important as where we go from here if we continue the way we are going all our services will be overwhelmed because they're already overwhelmed without the extra people that we're, we're foisting on them. Our taxation is already higher than it needs to be. We, we claim to have a low taxation economy. We do in our Swiss roll. Well, compared to other countries, we might have. We have direct taxes that are lower. Yes. And then we have indirect taxes yeah. where we pay for everything on the double. That's going to have to increase. Because we can't, with the public purse we've got, pay for another million people who aren't working. Because Mm. if all the refugees you bring in are put in direct provision centres, they aren't working and we have to pay for them. If they are working, then they come into the tax net. But that's going to take years and years to work out. So where do we go from here? Well, the very first place we have to go from here is say... We cannot physically accommodate anybody else. And if you had a house of your own and you decided to take in a second family, you'd be put to the pin of your collar, but you'd make it work. Yeah. But if you then had six burly men turn up at the front door and say, we need accommodation too, you're going to look at that and go, A, I have no place for you. B, I'm kind of a little bit afraid of you for the simple reason that, well, there's six of you and I may not be in control of my environment anymore if you decide to take it over. And that's a fear, whether it's rational or not. They could be the nicest human beings on the face of the planet. But it's your fear. And Ireland has reached the point now where we're afraid. And out of fear comes anger. And out of anger comes hatred. So if we don't burst this bubble, and if we don't release the pressure valve, things are going to get infinitely worse on a social level because more people will be afraid, more people will be angry and our government is approaching this from exactly the wrong end because they're saying we must do what Europe has told us to do and this is the numbers we have to take in. Instead of standing up and saying we haven't anywhere to put them. It's not that the inn is full, the stable is full too. Yeah. Yeah. 
Lena, can I ask you then um, kind of the final point on this? Because there's a story in the Indo today that I think is going to drive everybody mad when they see it. And that's the story that a letter went out from revenue to Ukrainian refugees saying you have three weeks holidays basically in December. If you're going home, you don't have to sign on and that's fine. But just let us know when you're back. So it's effectively giving a three week holiday to anyone who's on social welfare. Um but surely, like a, a couple of people commenting on it today, if it's safe to go to, it's safe to stay there. What do you make of that story? Do you think it's going to invoke more anger? <laughs> I'm speechless, to be honest. Did I you know say, about that story? No, I didn't know about that story. Okay. But I know, I do know if one of the, I'm sorry, one of the requirements when an Irish person goes on holiday, they have to get permission from, from the social welfare. So I'm absolutely speechless. Um, and I think it will allow, again people to, to leave and come back with the benefits that they've had. They'll have the double payments and yeah. they'll have, they'll have, you know, and you don't have any requirement. Um, uh, are they, you know, one of the requirements, are you available for work? That's one of the, the declarations. I'm sorry, you've really taken me aback by <laughs> I'm that. I'm sorry, Lena. Um, and I think, no, it, it's fine. It's just, again, there's no common sense involved. You can't do that for one section of, of, yeah. of society. It's more division. Just, yeah, it's more, it's, and it causes more anger. You know, you were asking what can we do about it. Our government are not standing up for anything other than for their own back pockets, in my humble opinion. And I think we have elections coming up, both at local and national level. And if you look at it, the last number of elections, our turnout has been very low. Now, a lot of people say, I don't want to vote. I don't want to vote for Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, the independents. But I think what you do need to do is register your vote. Our vote is very important to us and it helps us maybe down the line to solve this problem. If we had, we, I think it was 47% turnout last election, if we had a 53% spoil votes, you'd be damn sure, and pardon my language, that every single one of the, the parties would have had a look at all those and they would all be canvassed. I don't think I've ever been canvassed more than three times in my life. And I have really? never, I've never been, I never been, no, I, I like, no, no, like people don't, they, they don't, they don't bother. They'll throw a leaflet through the door and put a message. That's not being canvassed. You don't yeah. get a chance. And like, th- that's where our elections come in. That's where we can say, hang on a minute. Like that, that state, that Simon Coleman statement, I'll go back to it again. I really will look it up when I go home to see where it was delivered. Yeah, it's shocking. And mm. why didn't our national media pick up on that said considering there is no infrastructure in the country to deal with make, building our cities outside of Dublin into other ghettos yeah. you know like that so that that really is you know again our politicians not answerable to the people that are paying their salaries and making decisions for us that are, are detrimental mm-hmm. to us our children our grandchildren and our great grandchildren okay we need to take sorry. a break but we're going to don't say sorry at all that's what we <laughs> that's what panel is here for Lena uh, when we come back we're going to be talking about that issue about primary school children owning a smartphone we're back after this Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Topic number two for today's panel. The government approved plans on Tuesday of this week to provide reassurances to parents to limit smartphone access for kids. Earlier in the year, parents of primary school children in Wicklow decided not to buy kids phones until they went into secondary school. The decision was made in efforts to limit the access kids have to social media platforms and technology, which have, of course, proven to be harmful for a number of reasons, such as bullying and harmful information. Guidelines also have been issued for 
schools and uh, for parents as well online. What do we make of this? Callers kind of, I think, divided on it that we have to realise we're living in a new age and this is what kids want to do. They want to be on phones, but we see the damage that they cause. Um, Alison, if I start with you on this, is this a good move? I think it is a good move overall. Look, it might sound hypocritical. I had my small fella at the meeting in Cashel on Sunday night and he had the phone in his hand and he was as good as gold. Um, so, you know, say he doesn't get it very often but and we, we don't go too far very often for him to need to get it. Um, not that he ever needs to get it. But it meant I could concentrate on the meeting. So it was kind of selfish to a degree. But I think overall, like... I don't plan on him having a phone until he's in secondary school. Mm. I think they just get so consumed in it and they're in another world. Um, and, you know, we're forgetting about things like fresh air and being outside and playing, um, which are serious, you know, and very important for the development of yeah. our children. Like sitting in all day on the couch watching TV or watching uh, telephone, to say mobile phones, isn't, I think, the way forward. Yes, they have their benefits, long car journeys, different things yeah. like that. But definitely, I would be more for secondary school, for yeah. sure. It's the aggression, I think, after when you take them off it. They can be very aggressive for a little while. I could never get over that. Yeah, well, I suppose it's they, they, it's a control thing with them. I saw a baby and I heard one of your guests speaking. I was in the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel there. Oh, it's about two years ago. And a baby, no more than maybe six months old, and the father, maybe nine months old, sorry, the father took the phone off her. Well, the screeching and the grabbing to try and get it back. And I was, you know, so I think the later, the better for their development yeah. too, for sure. Because they do, there is some, say, um, peer-reviewed journals done on it and about the shrinking of the brain um, as well. So look, I Car don't know. Carol, do you think they're addictive? Is that what it all boils down to? What is it? The use of the phone, especially in the developmental years, is the exact same as the sugar rush. Really? It's the exact same dopamine release. You're getting the exact same thing. And if you try to take sweets off a small child when they're in the middle of them, they will kick up. Yeah. But also, if you put a kid in a sweet shop, they will eat until they are sick way beyond what they're supposed to have, what they need to have, they'll keep going to excess. Mobile phones are the exact same. And Alison's right in that there is research to say that the brains do shrink. That's really simple. It's if you're not increasing neuroplasticity by creating new neural connections, by doing varied activities, then your neural connections don't grow. And doing the scrolling on the phone is the same action, the same content, the same involvement. So you have no growth in your experience. It's not new. You're not learning. And if you asked a kid at the end of their day, what did they learn from their phone today? They couldn't even tell you what they looked at. Yeah. And as for uh, people saying, and this is where I'm going to get really traditional and not Go very on. lefty at all. Yeah. When people say, oh, we have to accept that now this is the new life and this is what kids want. We're the ones who are supposed to tell them what they want. I know. We're the adults in the situation. We're the ones who say, actually, no, you can't have dessert before dinner and you can't have sweets before dinner. Well, then, aren't we the ones that say you can't have a phone unless we say so? And they will get aggressive when you take the phone off them because when you gave them the phone, you gave them something that became their possession. And it's something that a psychologist brought up uh, recently with me and said... You don't give a kid a gift of a phone. 
because then it becomes their phone and they have a right to their personal property. You allow them the use of a tool that belongs to you, but they have use of it for what they need it for. And there is not a seven-year-old in this country who needs a smartphone. My mind is blown by that. Yeah, you're dead right. Because in this day and age, a seven-year-old, A, like Alison's, is sitting beside her in the meeting. They are under your care for 90% of their day. And when they're not, they're under the care of their teachers or they're at a club somewhere doing something. So what exactly do they need a smartphone for? They need a smartphone so that you have peace and quiet. Yeah, it's true. It's not for them, it's for us. It's so that we don't have to engage and do the thing we're supposed to do called parenting. And I'm very hardline on this, I know, but those formative years are the years where they will listen to you. By the time they become teenagers and 13, they no longer want to listen to their parents. It's actually another peer-reviewed study that would say that between 13 and 18, they're genetically designed not to listen to you for the simple reason that they're getting ready to leave. I find it's from nine in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that's when they're getting ready to leave the nest. So that's where they will go to other adults and listen to them. And they will listen to anybody except their parents. And that's just their hardwiring, their programming that says, actually, in a couple of years, I'm going to be gone from here and I will be standing on my own two feet in another environment. So it gets them ready for the leave. So if you take something off them in their teenage years, and I've seen this firsthand because I've been guilty of this myself before I copped on, it's really difficult to take it off them Mm -hmm. because they have a right to it. It's my phone. But they get almost hysterical. It's mm. very strange. I'd well, like... their only interaction with their peers is through their phone. Yeah. As I was uh, saying to Fran during the week that uh, I watched three youngsters leave the estate. Now, they were about 16, 17. And I couldn't actually see their heads because they were down in their phones. And the three of them walked along together, but they didn't talk to each other. Yeah. They were talking to other people on their phones. They weren't present. And if you're not present... Well, where's your social connection? Your social connection is through your device. Lena, what's your take on it? Oh, I, I think there's absolutely no way they should have them. I think it's a substitute for, like Carl says, parents parenting. You know, there's a, when they go to secondary school, there probably is, but I still think there should be control. And I definitely don't think the government should be legislating from it. Parents need to take responsibility. That's part of probably some of the social problems we have. There's no boundaries for children, you know, for instance, I know of a case recently where a child has, is allergic in school to, you know, uh, to, to nuts. But one parent said, hang on a minute, just because that child, why don't they go sit in the corner? The, the school has said, you know, let's not... Now, my granddaughter brought in nuts. She didn't even... She went hungry for the day because she didn't want to... But we... Like, the parents... There is, has to be parenting. You know, we know for adults how bad these phones are for us. Uh, and, and, like... The other thing is, their kids are missing out on developing sounds, smells, tastes. I had a, a child the other day that didn't know what sound a cow made. Uh, now, but as well as that, I had the exact opposite of that. I had another child who, her sister was sick, so we couldn't go out. I have two dogs. 
and the older one wanted to walk the dogs. So for four hours she was in my house and couldn't get outside. Well, you have never seen anything like it because it has never happened to her in eight years that she didn't get outside in the daytime. She wanted to go out and walk the dogs, but I live in the side, so I couldn't let her out on the do- her own. It's about giving them a balance. They're allowed um, their tablets, as it happens, for a half an hour before before they have to switch off and, and calm down for they read a story. It's about balance and it's about giving them... To, yes, we are in a technological age, so they need to be aware of how to use it, as do the older people, but not uh, to, to be sitting on it. And I think uh, Alison, I think there was two things about Alison and her son. The good thing was his mother was active in the community. Absolutely, and, I was going to okay, say that. He's too young to understand. But again, he'll remember that. He ha- he will remember yeah. it. And that's the other thing that sometimes we're not in- introducing our children to be part to be part of a community, and that they have yeah. a responsibility yeah. to be part of a community. And we saw it. Well, I definitely saw it through my parents. I hope my children see it through me. And that that's the other side. And that sometimes, even though it might have been no benefit to Alison to be at that meeting the other night, it benefited the community that she contributed. And that's the other thing that phones don't allow. I'm not giving you a big head here, Alison. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, the phones don't allow kids, except sometimes and an awful lot of time, to contribute negatively and not positively. Yeah, so you're a great mother. Well done. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and I'm a terrible mother because I leave them all on phones all the time. But where, where is the balance then, Carol? Is it just a case of be the parent and put the foot down and say half well, an hour a day, that's it, toss? I, I think that uh, the, the government guidelines, in order that they spark a conversation, might be a good thing. And the conversation about what do we want our kids doing? What do we want them seeing? Mm. Uh, the supervision of children using phones so an educational aspect to the government guidelines that would be welcome to tell parents what they need to know because an awful lot of parents don't know yeah they, they well, use what it be- if the cat is out of the bag because i think i would be in that i mean i've allowed it up to now so how do i roll back on it now well in the same way as you don't stop smoking you start doing something else okay so instead of uh, stopping them from using their phone okay we're going somewhere, we're doing something, we're engaging as a family, we're engaging with the community and we're going to a club, we're going to watch a movie, we're going to, we're going to take our attention and put it somewhere else. And uh, that's probably the easiest way of trying to... Uh, divert their yeah. attention. And I have to admit that I was the, the most guilty of it and I actually had to come away from social media to retrain myself mm. that... I didn't need first thing in the morning to pick up a phone and start scrolling. Yeah. And I'm an adult who's reasonably self-aware. And I found myself going, actually, yes, this is too much. And now, actually, Meta have made it really easy for me because They're I can't, I can't use Facebook anymore yeah. because I will not give my information to be used for them to make money out of my content. There is a, a, an old saying that says, if you don't know what the product is you're the product and we're Meta's product so I no longer use Facebook or Instagram so those are now in my past and the funny thing is I don't bloody well miss them don't you? No Did it take you a couple of days? It it took me about a week to break the habit of first thing in the morning picking up a phone and scrolling Yeah and then about two days after the, the Meta thing to actually go I'll just find another avenue to talk about the things I want to talk about. And 
Sure, here I am. Here you are, <laughs> and we're glad to have you. And at that, we must go to another ad break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Christmas ads. The new John Lewis ad was released yesterday. The M&S ad, the Amazon ad, they're all out. So we're going to talk about that after the ad break. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie uh, welcome back to Friday's panel. Just as we're coming on air, actually, there's a text coming in saying, I just picked up my phone during the ad break. The first, first post I see is Tip FM and Christmas ads notifications. So there you are. They're always listening to us. <laughs> That's another thing we didn't consider. Uh, the next one we're going to is the Christmas ads. There's been a big explosion in them as well this week. Uh, the John Lewis one, that's always the big long-awaited one. That was released yesterday. Did you see it, actually? I watched it last night. Wasn't it lovely? It was, but I just didn't have the same gra for it that I had Did for the... Oh, like, I was still thinking of the girl with the little pet dragon <gasps> who blew the pudding. Yeah. And I was there saying, oh, I must show the small fella that because he'll love it, you know, in a couple of weeks' time because I'm trying to keep Christmas out of the house. I'm in it, lads. I'm in it. <laughs> I'm head deep in it. I'm loving it. But is it too soon, Maybe. Maybe a bit. Um, but then, look, you see, like, it is nearly two months to Christmas. Well, yeah. It's six weeks anyway. So, like, it's a long time to have kids kind of waiting. Yeah. And But, like, I suppose from, from when we were growing up, it's so different. There's it Elf like on the Shelf weeks. now. There's, you know, everything. Like, the Christmas tree never went up, I'd say, in many houses until after the 8th of December. Yeah. Um, and I, that, I stick to that tradition myself. Fair play. I think the new one... What, what, are you the same? Oh, the 8th of December? Absolutely. The old vision yeah. doesn't go... It's, well, we were always told to my mother's, because there was 11 of us, bad luck to go up before the 8th and bad luck to come down before the 6th. Ah. Never came down before the 6th. I never um, heard that. Yeah, See, the um, thing is now, the new rule is no. that it has to be up for the tie show. No. Oh no! That's what all the kids go by now. So you'd have. Well, if it's a real tree, there's going to be nothing left of it by the time Christmas comes. Maybe they should have the toy show on the eighth of December or just after. I agree. That's a good idea. Rather than pulling Christmas forward into November, how about we put Christmas back where it used to be? Because. I think it's less special when you drag it out over months and months. You're now, not I know just some extending people, the joy, Carl? Well, you're stretching the joy. <laughs> you're actually spending stretching more money. It. It's commercial. Yeah. It's not. And like I think, it, again, it's it's about how much... It's, Christmas is about... Spend, to me, Christmas is about spending time together and appreciating... No, it's not, Lena. It's about presents and food. Everybody well, knows what, that. But unfortunately, how many kids... Did, like, when we were growing up, you got a big present at Christmas time and you were lucky if you got something. That's true. And I'm not playing, playing poor mouth here. That was the way it was for yeah. everybody. But nowadays, it's every week. You go to the shop. Can I get a, mm. can I get a treat? Can I get a present? And do they really appreciate that, like... I, one of the things I have a real phobia about is when, when kids mess with food and they're throwing it and, and it's an, a kid thing but there's kids in the world that are starving yeah. and there's kids in the world that'll wake up without a blanket on Christmas but without any present and I think our kids sometimes don't realise and there needs to be a balance common yeah. sense um, and I, I think Christmas shouldn't start before the 8th of December I love Christmas I love the lights I love everything about it but not before the 8th of December and definitely not in in um, 
And I, I don't know about the ads. I love the John Lewis ad. But do they really influence us? Or is it just to get people thinking, oh, God, Christmas in, in July. Christmas is six months away. Yeah. Like, my favourite one this year now is the Amazon one. Have you seen the Amazon one? I haven't one? seen it's that the, one. It's three old ladies on a bench. And then, oh, Carol, don't look at me with your sceptical eyes. I think it's a beautiful <laughs> ad. But it's not going to make me go to Amazon. But I appreciate the ad. No, what it's doing is it's kindling that Christmas spirit. It is. And the warmer your Christmas spirit gets, the hotter your plastic gets. <laughs> so the, the credit card tends to come out a bit more often and you tend to spend a little bit more because you have that vibe. And that's the whole point of trying to make it longer is get that vibe earlier, get sales yeah. moving. But I d- maybe I'm the Egypt, but I just think it's been a tough year for everyone. And the news has been very dark yes. and, and sad this year, I think. So for me, I'll jump into the Christmas feeling because it's it's something positive and we haven't had anything positive in a oh, long time. And I couldn't but agree with you more that we do need more. But buying stuff doesn't necessarily equate to more. Yeah. There's a, 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 a 1972 thesis that was written by a philosopher called Peter Singer. And Peter's thing was, we have two ways of giving. There's obliga- the obligation to give when you're expected to. And then there's the pleasurable giving when you're not expected to. Yeah. And he posited that the best way of giving was to take the luxury that you might normally have and to give it to somebody who doesn't and to do that more regularly. So we might do better to give more at times that aren't Christmas just because we feel like we have to at Christmas. Yeah. Maybe we should be doing more to bring ourselves together in that warm, fuzzy feeling in July without Christmas. That... Yeah. You know, that we need to, we can't just have one peak where things are good. We can't just have one peak where we decide this is the period where we're going to reinforce family bonds and this is the period where we're going to give and this is the period where we're all going to feel better. Because God, that makes me a bit sad because you just made me realise, is that what why I, we love Christmas? Because it's the only time of the year where it is about that. Where it's, where it's about human goodness yeah. and, and, and being human to each other but also I love Christmas I absolutely adore the time I get to spend not working with my children and they are stay in my house and we laze and we do very little and as a self-employed person I bloody well love it yeah I would love to be able to take three or four times during the year where I can do that. Mm. But it gets distilled into Christmas. So I'll take what I can get. (laughs) Um, Alison, there's a couple of listeners commenting as well about the fact that the minute Halloween is over, you're seeing the boxes of sweets in supermarkets. So it's kind of forced on us as well. The pressure is put on you straight away. Completely. And we were actually only discussing that before we came in. uh, And Carol was saying how Brown Thomas, July, they opened their Christmas shop. Like, it is ridiculous. And I think, you know, the point that say you were speaking about a moment ago about stretching it out to other parts of the year like I kind of got a feeling of say warmth last Sunday night in Holland and Fela in Cashel that pride of being part of a community that you know say spoke so well stood together so well that I think it's not you know it's giving of your time and your input and being part of movements good yeah. movements um, you know and like even when communities get together and put on a concert like when we did Oklahoma in Borlaan 
you saw people you didn't see in ages yeah. that came back and you know just the effort that people put in to create such a, a wonderful production and to have everyone able to sit outside and enjoy it like that's what it's about um it's not about fast cars and you know big fancy holidays the real warmth and joy you get is from your own people yeah um and i think we've been kind of segregated over time and phones has a lot to have a lot to do with that too because now since covid so many meetings even are held over zoom yeah i much prefer you know, sitting down, like even when we did the panel during COVID. That was tough. It was it? tough. And you were kind of, you know, removed, really. There's no connection. No connection, yeah. exactly. Whereas coming back in, when you said, oh, they were, you know, you can come back in, I was like, oh, great. You know, to actually physically see people and engage, it does so much for, say, mental health, yeah. you know. Um, and I think that's so important. And it's something we're losing to go back to the last point of phones. Um, you know, and I think that's something that could be brought along throughout yeah. the year. Can I ask you then, we only have a few minutes left, but about the, the other story today, and we actually got a lot more reaction on this than I was expecting, and it's the news on the animal bar discontinuing. <laughs> <laughs> Lena, does this have any effect on your life at all? Oh, yes, it is a huge effect. I have two grandchildren that are going to say, Nanny, where are they going? Why are they? Anyway, but I, and I actually like them. Myself. And what I They're lovely. The, what I loved about them, I'm not such a great job, was that the packages, they would, especially when they were small, they'd colour them and they'd be asking you all sorts yeah. of, in the car now it can be a nightmare. But but they were there was so much and they just and and they used to be reasonably cheap. I actually think it's ten a, pence. I remember them being ten pence. I'm not that old, Alison. <laughs> Maybe I'm older, so no, they were definitely ten pence. I actually think it's a marketing a marketing plot. Do you think? I think they'll I think they'll be relaunched. Yeah. Um, you know, smaller, more expensive, and some little gimmick on them. I do because I think you know uh, they are they are popular. Um, um, you know, and I think it's I think it's a marketing plot. Carol, do you like an animal bar? I was always one for the animal crackers, actually. Oh. And the, the boxes of animal crackers that I find it almost impossible to find anymore. But I was at a friend's house recently and I uh, was doing some work for him and he brought out little packets of animal crackers. I just stole them all. I'll <laughs> so do a version it, of them if you're just... Shh. If you're looking for I, I might be interested. <laughs> <laughs> My waistline might not be, but I certainly would be. Um, the, yeah, all those, those nostalgic things, that, especially from our childhood. Yeah. And the ones that have either been made smaller, discontinued, or had their ingredients changed so badly that They're not they, the same. They, you just don't get anything from them anymore. Yeah. And like your, your thought on the, the bonbons the lemon bonbons for the love of God what I would give for a lemon bonbon but hang bonbon. on I think you have the wrong bon are you talking about the bally ones with the flower on the outside oh absolutely no you see the fruit bonbons were different they were kind of rectangular yes. shaped yeah, yeah. Oh, so we have the right one we have okay, both. perfect yeah. okay so you, but I'm not limiting not myself to one bonbons no yeah. they're really difficult to find anymore are they so they don't it, taste the same no, no yeah, they don't they're not as powdery yeah, no yeah. And because so many things now are made thanks to our uh American influence with high fructose corn syrup instead yeah. of sugar. You know, it's just not the same. Alice, what do you miss? Thanks, actually. You brought me in a box or a bag of Fox's <laughs> fruits to try and fill the hole of the bonbons. <laughs> You're nearly there. But is, what do you think? Are, are we losing that kind of nostalgia? Well, I don't miss the animal bar. I never really liked the animal bar. <laughs> I always found it left a film, uh, say, on the top of your, the roof of your mouth. I'm not a big Nestle woman, but what I really do miss is the fat frog. Oh, yeah. The, they were epic. Um, <laughs> are they totally gone? Yeah, the, the fat frog ice pop. Oh, yeah, they were heaven. They were. Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, that has me. They got me now. through many a college hangover. <laughs> <laughs> and snaps, I remember. Does anyone else remember snaps? Oh, Nobody yes. does. They were tatoes. They were pickled oh, onions. Oh yes, they were good. Lovely. And tang oh, bars. Really tasty. Tang bars. What were those? They were like a little five p bar. They were yeah. green. I think they did a cola one as well. They were lime flavor. Rye of the Rovers were another they good were one. They were good. Yeah. yeah. And the wham bars. They're not the same. No, now. and whoppers. Whoppers. <laughs> I remember. If whoppers. you get a pickled onion um, corn snack or anything now. They're not pickled onion anymore. What are they? They're, they're some <laughs> watered-down, insipid, pale imitation pickled <laughs> onion. Back when no. you could get a proper bag of meanies, a good bag of meanies, was, many a hangover was sorted yeah. out by a bag and of And chipsticks have been destroyed as well. Yeah. Yeah. When a, a chipstick would pull the soles of your feet into Completely. your mouth. Exactly. With the sourness. Yeah. And that's the saltiness of it. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of gone now, isn't yeah. it? Is there, look, we've seen a resurgence in it. The Whisper came back after a big kind of, um, I suppose, public campaign on it. But you have me thinking now, Lena, maybe is it a ploy? Can I ask what, what Alison and Carl think? Is it a ploy, a marketing ploy, a clever one? I don't know. There's just so many kind of sweets and bars and things out Too there now. Choice. And they've shrunk everything. Yeah. As Carl said <laughs> earlier. So, like... Now you feel maybe they need to eat two bars. Yeah. <laughs> a pack of potatoes used to make two sandwiches. Now you're lucky if you're getting one sandwich. You're really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's sad, isn't it? From 26 grams down to 18, it's it's very, very sad. <coughs> well, that's and I would be a bit of a connoisseur. Yeah. <laughs> that's you our next both. revolution. That's the next <laughs> campaign we have to start. Our panel, uh, Lena, Carl and Alison, it's been a pleasure. Thank you all for joining us this morning. Thank you all for discussing everything. That's it for today. Uh, we'll give you another chance, of course, to win in that match three throughout the afternoon. So keep a listen out for your cue to call. That's it for tip today. For today, thanks for all your calls and all your texts. Thanks to Em on the phones as well. We're back with you again Monday from 9am. Whatever you're doing this weekend, have fun. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.